Yippee Kaye, Mother Russia. We are here with episode 12 of Dude and a Monkey, and I am, as ever, joined by my beautiful and wonderful co-host, Mr. Ian Loring. Say hello, hi, Ian. Hi, hi. And uh, we are here to talk about the final film in our old dudes from Planet Hollywood trilogy, A Good Day to Die Hard. And who are you, uh, by the way? Who am I? I'm Mark Foster. Hello. <laughs> I, I, I should need to introduce myself. Um, uh, we'll also be going over uh, a one old, one new. Um, our discussion piece is... What is it, Ian? Uh, our discussion piece, in the spirit of the old guys from Planet Hollywood, uh, ideal, and with the news that Harrison Ford uh, is apparently going to be playing Han Solo again... My question, inspired by high fidelity, is: Is it better to burn out or to fade away? Mm, that's a yeah, that's a that's a very interesting one, a very good one. I think we can cover a bit of ground with that one. Um, we're also going to delve into our new marathon. It is a new marathon from here, and we are covering Oliver Stone. But we're not going to cover the usual Oliver Stone movies. No, no, no. We're not going to cover the, the movies that have won awards that people like, things like. JFK, um, also like Midnight Express, the tomb for the 4th of July. No, we're doing Sleazy Stone. We're going to cover the dirtiest films he's done. And we're going to start with his debut, the 1974 horror film Seizure. So, before we get into at the uh, meat of our main review, we're going to play a little, tri- little clip from the trailer to A Good Day to Die Hard. American? Yeah. New York. Are you a cop? Yeah. It's gonna be loud. How'd you know I was a cop? You don't look like a lawyer. Jack! Dad? This is what you've been doing? 007 of Plainfield, New Jersey. Relax, you're safe now. Save my ass. This guy's bad news. Terrorism. Weapons grade uranium. Nukes. Someone's got to stop him. Got a point. Whoa. What is this? A pirate gun? old school hmm? like you right 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 that was a, a little clip of shit blowing up and Bruce Willis saying stuff that he said in the past four movies and uh, a good day to die hard uh, it was released on Valentine's Day which is a wonderful day to release a movie like this um, directed by John Moore whose previous accolades include the quite good um, Behind Enemy Lines the perfectly decent remake of Flight of the Phoenix, and again a remake of The Omen, which was a piece of shit, and the Max Payne film, which featured Mark Wahlberg in a roll neck sweater for far too long. <laughs> uh, also written by the guy who wrote Swordfish, Hitman, X-Men, Origin of the Wolverine, and The A-Team. How could this go wrong? So, Ian... What do you think to A Good Day to Die Hard? Well, unless you're faking us out, I'm pretty sure where you're going. Um, I I didn't mind A Good Day to Die Hard. Um, 
even though I will say this is with insanely low expectations going in. Uh, I'm not a fan of Die Hard 4.0 uh, or Live Free or, uh, or Die Hard, but it was called Die Hard 4.0 in the UK and I believe Europe. Um, mm. Not a fan at all. Very, very long. Um, 100% too much Kevin Smith. Um, probably <laughs> 50% too much Justin Long. Uh, minus 20% enough Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, yeah, it, it just... A yeah, uh, 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 fucking 1200% too much Timothy Oliphant. Um, it just, I mean, like Die Hard 4.0. Yeah, I, I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase what I was about to say. Live Free or Die Hard. People have been reacting to Live Free or Die Hard like there was any chance that it was even going to come close to licking the boots of Die Hard or Die Hard with a Vengeance. Mm. This is the fifth film in the Die Hard franchise, directed by a man who's only... I haven't seen Behind Enemy Lines, but from what I've seen of his films, he's only made one even half-decent film, and that was the remake of Flight of the Phoenix. Uh, well, I will say, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's just... It, it's I, I would uh, track down uh, Behind Enemy Lines. It's a really solid uh, war film. It is, it's, it's very entertaining, and it's Owen Wilson in a, a non-comedy role, uh, plus... It's got Gene Hackman. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm, I'm more than up for watching Behind Enemy Lines at some point, absolutely. Uh, but, I mean, it's also written by a hack. Skip <laughs> one. Yeah, I mean, it, like, even his name just kind of makes your blood boil. So, yeah. like, I don't know. It, it just, like, the, 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 the sheer vitriol with which people have treated, well, some people have treated this film, surprises me. Because in the end of the day, we've already had one really, really shit die-hard film. Yeah, and uh, I think the thing is, uh, for me, is you can't go into any any die-hard film after die-hard expecting it to be better than die-hard. I mean, die-hard die, die with a vengeance was a little bit lightning striking twice, which I think is why... Yeah, people are doing, are doing, like, are reacting like this. But, I mean, yeah. I, I, sorry, Mark, go on. Die Hard, it's a, it's a very good movie that gets close, but it's not, it's not Die Hard. But this, this, a good day of Die Hard is never, was never going to be as good as Die Hard. It was, you know, there was no chance of that ever happening. Exactly. Yeah, this, this is it. So then it, like, it, then after that, it is just degrees of, well, how bad slash good is it actually going to be? And frankly, even just because of the fact it's a solid half hour shorter than Die Hard 4, I think that immediately makes this... I mean, it's the shortest Die Hard by a distance. And I think that immediately makes this more tolerable than Die Hard 4. It's got a set of villains who I thought collectively were marginally better than Timothy Oliphant. Um, I... Uh, uh, Jai Courtney I thought was fine for what he was it wasn't much but I thought he was fine it had enough McLeanisms in it to get me through and though the action takes a turn for the CG filled towards the end I thought the action certainly in the first two acts was was pretty solid and also has a car chase in the film which I thought was an awful lot of fun and yes it's not Bruce Willis making fists with his toes but that's not what I thought was going to happen anymore. So for what it was, I thought A Good Day to Die Hard was perfectly acceptable. Mark? 
like you, I went in um, having sort of received all of the you know people saying how terrible it was and how disgraceful it was and how it's the worst Die Hard movie. And I went into it thinking, right, as as long as it's better than a, or, or not as bad as a Len Wiseman movie, I'll be very happy. Uh, if it's worse than that, then geez, we are we are in trouble. Um, I, I, I do you know what? I I don't see what people's issues with it are. Oh, okay. It's 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 let me get this straight. It's not a very good film, but it's not a terrible film by a long stretch. It's not long enough to be a terrible movie. It's under a hundred minutes, um, including credits. So it it outstays its welcome at some points, but the action um, is is perfectly decent in it if a little bit too long at points the villains are fine i thought jay courtney was very good to be honest i thought he was the best thing in it um and the main thing is i then the screen i went to have one of those annoying um from the red carpet things with oh, the m&m yeah, yeah. and they were talking to jay courtney before it I, and i to be honest i had no idea that he wasn't american um and when I heard him talk, I thought, oh, Jesus, he's, he's Australian. Because um, I'd, I'd never seen him in anything. Um, and I thought, oh, all right, well, that's, that's interesting, because, you know, from all the clips I've seen him, he, sound, he sounds American. Um, I thought he was perfectly decent. I thought Bruce Willis uh, was... It, 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 he still plays John McClane well. He looks like he enjoys playing John McClane, and he's very comfortable in that character. Um, I don't think... The character has shifted that much from the first Die Hard to this Die Hard, and that is that, that's the big thing where you look at a franchise that that is this old um, that still has the same guy playing the same character. Is it, you look for that shift to see if you know if it's like if you took went from this to this one and missed out on the middle ones, would you notice a massive difference? And under an age, there isn't a real big difference. Um, their chemistry was quite good, uh, but at points, uh, my main issues with it came with the the story got a little bit fucking stupid, um, and I, I, I'll be honest, there were several points where I thought, okay, so they've cut some out there for uh, for, the, for this certificate. That's annoying, and then ten minutes would go by and you go, hang on a minute, where'd that come from? And there was little bits that kind of that kind of bothered me, but on a whole, it, it it's, it's a perfectly entertaining movie. It's like I said about uh, Bullet to the Head. This is for me. This is a six out of ten, which for me isn't a bad grade to give a film. Um, I will, you know, it, it's the sort of thing where when this comes out on Blu-ray, I'll happily pay seven quid for it in a sale to buy it to have it on Blu-ray because it, it's all right. It's it's not as good as one. It's not as good as three. It's about on a par with two, and it's a shitload better than four. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think I'm pretty much there with you, actually. I mean, I actually, I gave it a seven out of ten on Letterboxd. I think I might have liked it a bit, a, a bit more than you. I mean, it, it, it just... I, 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 I don't know. I mean, maybe I should stop just reacting to what other people are saying and actually say what I, what I thought, I really. But, I mean, it... it 
the, the, the pacing is is well done. I mean, I, I think the third act, when it gets round to the kind of the um, the twisty kind of, OK, this is what it, the MacGuffin is actually all about, the file that um, mm-hmm. Jai Courtney's character is, is after. This is what it's all about. And, um, you know, it, it, it kind of carries on that thread of... Um, villains having ulterior motives um which you know uh die hard one and three certainly um certainly had and even though i thought it was interesting that this time it didn't actually come down to money um well actually in a way it probably did because what they were going to do with the stuff i suppose yeah but um it i i yeah i mean yeah i mean that that third act is a little bit uh and i mean the um the, the the action sequence towards the end i mean like it's this time it's mclean having problems with a helicopter in four it was mclean having problems with a jet plane it is all I, I mean i can see why people get annoyed that it is just like he's become kind of become a superhero now but i would also say <clears throat> the way bruce willis plays the character it's not so much you know, I mean, like people say with the first ones, like the fact, like he, he's just like a cop or whatever, and you know, he he complains about this stuff. You know, like in Die Hard 2, how can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? Mm. By by this time, if you were acknowledging this stuff, if you were saying how can the same shit happen to this guy to the same guy five times, it just it that would be too. I think people would equally have a problem with that. Mm. You know, so it's just like, all right, he's in this situation. It is what it is. If you don't want to see John McClane get into a situation with some terrorists, don't don't see no, no. Die Hard Five. No, I, one thing that I think is amusing is the fact that you know they've given you had, you had Die Hard, you had Die Hard Two, and you had Die Hard Three. Uh, that was a Die Hard with a Vengeance, then Die Hard Four Point and now you've got. A good day to die hard, but on the opening credits, it basically, it, you know, they couldn't have put a good day two in smaller little bits, yeah. and it was basically just called <laughs> die hard, and and that was, you know, they, they're very much saying, look, this isn't, this is a die hard movie, you know, it, it it it's it's very much a genre of its own kind now. Yeah, I, 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 quite, yeah, and as an entry in that of the let's just wind John McClane up and watch him go, which is what, which is what this franchise is now. It's, you know, it's absolutely fine. And in terms of him being McClane, I think there are enough elements of that. The exchange with the taxi driver. I I like that. You know, it's, I mean, okay, I suppose it is. And there are a lot of moments in Die Hard 5 where they're trying to pander to your love of the, of the earlier films. But that exchange with the taxi driver, it's like bringing up Argyle from the first one. The sheer fact that the opening of the film is Ode to Joy, like the sound of Ode to Joy with police sirens and kind of and violence. Yeah. You know, it, it, I mean, it's pandering, but it, it, it is for this audience. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, my kind of like the, the big, like I said, the big plus side it for us was... Um, I thought Jack Hartnett was, was was very good in it. I thought he he fitted the role very well. Um, I, I like the fact that this isn't this wasn't um, at the start. It isn't Bruce Willis's story as such. Um, it's it's his sons, and then he gets involved in it. Um, there's a great um, 
a great scene with them where he, he, he's talking to him um, sort of in the, the third act. Um, and Bruce Willis, John McClane basically says, you know, aside from all the shit that's gone on, I've actually had a, a really good day. Yeah. Um, I, I, and uh, Jack McClane's kind of saying, well, actually, yeah, I have. And it's like, you know, I've got to spend a bit of time with you. You think it, 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 all this shit's happened, but it is that, it's that kind of, you know, he's going there to help his son out, but he doesn't really know what he's going to do. But, you can kind of see he knows that it's going to be, he's going to get into some kind of shit because that's what happens. It did start to bother me the fact that he kept on saying, I'm on vacation. It was like, right, okay, you've said it at yeah. least seven times now. It's like, it is a little bit like Skip Woods had that on paste and every so often just hit control and V. v like, yeah, every, every 200 words, it's, oh, oh, wait a minute, control V. Um, that that started to grate a little bit. Um, I loved the, the 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 just the absolute bastardness of um, the dancing fucking Russian special forces guy who was chasing them at the at first. Uh, who you look and you think, right, you know, he's the he's the head henchman for the bad guys. Uh, I love the fact that at one point he's eating a carrot while he's talking to them. Was just ridiculous and the fact that he keeps laughing at stuff uh, no, I, I actually quite enjoyed that like the fact that he is like the whole car chase he's just thoroughly enjoying yeah, I, I, I just thought that was a nice little character beat it is, it, the fact that he, he seems to he's, he's basically enjoying the fact that, that, that um, Bruce Willis is chasing them and he finds it amusing um, I, I like, I like a, a, a badass character that is just mental there is something a little bit unhinged about them. And, and he had that in, in sort of droves. Um, for me, the car chase scene went on way too long. I enjoyed it. I'm sorry. I enjoyed I... it. I enjoyed it, but it went on way too long. It was, it, it just, it, 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 it ended about three times and then it started again. But I liked, and also, I, I liked that building of the let's how, see how ridiculous this is going to get. And it ends up with John McClane driving on other cars. I, I'm that. fine with that. I mean, okay, yeah, it's, it's not fist was, with your toes, but I, I'm fine with this too. Also, as well, uh, at that point. My brain was going. Okay, so far my review of this movie is a good day a diehard doesn't believe in physics, um, was currently all I could think about. So I watched it going, yeah, that's not possible. That would happen. That's that. That's that. That's a bit far fetched. But you know the, the, the bit that really annoyed me in all that uh, was leading up to it. You had um, Jack was rescuing the um, Yuri guy, and he rescues him, and they get out of the you know West spoilers. Uh, you know. Okay, but let's face it, if you've seen the trailer for A Good Day to Die Hard, you know what happens in the film. Um, so, he's saving that Yuri guy, and they're running out, and he's going to get the car thing. Did you notice that all of a sudden, they went from having handcuffs on to having no handcuffs on? Um, I can't say I did, but yeah, fair it, enough. It, it, really, <laughs> it, it really bothered me. I, I was watching thinking, right, how are they going to get the handcuffs off? How? Right, so... They'd split the handcuffs in the middle, both of them, with what? What has he split the handcuffs with? Has he shot them off or something like that? I don't, I don't mind if he shot them off or if they've had them split, but I want to see it 
because it, it, it bothered me. And then Bruce Willis flipping not one, but two 4x4 four four, uh, Mercedes, right? Flipping them and going rolling over and shit like that and not having a single cut or bruise on That it. was... Yeah, I, especially the second time round that that happened, and he just crawled out of there. It, it, yeah, I mean that that's that's yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean, there's you know, I mean, he barely gets a scratch in this film, and mm. that is, you know, that is annoying. It, it, I, 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 it's just like I, I, my bar for how how low my bar was for this film. Like I just I didn't really care, but I can see that argument. I can I can and in a way I can see why people would be pissed off. There's also a bit where when when they're, they're when the guy with the carrot catches them, um, and he's he's hitting both of them, and he hits um, Bruce Willis in the face, and Bruce Willis goes to turn and spit, and you can tell he's going to spit out blood and say something, do a quick back to him. Um, and that bit it, it cuts, but it cuts just as he's about to spit, and it's like, really, if you're gonna cut him that cut, him spitting blood out, cut it before he turns round, because that just that's gonna grate on people that are looking at this and going, why couldn't we've had a fifteen or an eighteen? You know, they'll, the thing is, they'll be on the on the like there was with Taken Two, there'll be a a, a, a harder cut released um, on. Like oh, there was with Die Hard 4. Lest we forget, Die Hard 4.0 oh, yeah, oh, was yeah. a 12 in the cinema and had a 15 rated DVD, which I think a lot of people are forgetting, maybe willfully. But the theatrical version of Die Hard 4 in the UK was a 12. See, I, I don't have a problem with studios making films um, for a 12. I don't have a problem with that. If they're going to do that, fine. But I don't want to see the bits that were obviously cut out. And I just thought that this a little bit was like they went, right, uh, that's the American cut. Uh, uh, and let's release, we're going to release that in, in. Oh, wait a minute, we've got to cut a few bits out. All right, uh, that bit, that bit, that bit. Uh, let's CGI that bit of blood out, and CGI that bit of blood out, and CGI that bit of blood out. We're good to go? Yep, done. There we go. The, the, the thing is, I mean, I, I agree, but the economics of it are that basically, and I'm not even going far back as Die Hard 4 at all, if Taken 2 was not as big a hit in the UK as it was, it was huge. Like, I oh, think it, it did over 20 million. And, that, and the, the 12A was a large part of that. If Taken 2 was not a hit, I... 100% believe Fox would have, would have um, just released this as a 15. Oh, yeah, I think it certainly wouldn't have. Um, yeah. I, also, I also like seeing uh, Cole Hauser and stuff. He isn't here enough. For like 30 seconds, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll take 30 seconds of Cole Hauser rather than no Cole Hauser. Um, of course, he, he, there was actually there was a trailer for something else that he was in um, before the screening that I saw of this. I thought, ah, you don't see Cole Hauser enough. And then when the, tra- the, the credits for... Uh, Good day at Die Hard Cup. I was like, ah, oh, cool. How's it? Cool. And then he literally, he lasts literally like 30 seconds. I was like, oh, I bet he's really pissed off with that one. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I'm a bit of a sucker for anything that goes to a, like, a desolate place like Chernobyl or something like that. So I didn't know that that happened in the film. And then once I said Chernobyl, I thought, oh, they're going to go to Chernobyl. Oh, this is going to be brilliant. 
for some reason, just the idea of this desolate, you know, previous fucking bastion of um, Soviet oppression, and then they go there and it's all fucking desolate, and they just they ignore the fact that you know there's still high ends of radiation there, and they're falling into rainwater and shit like that. It's just ridiculousness gone mad, uh, and I loved that in it. I, I I think that a lot of people's problem with this will be that third act because it does get fucking stupid. But I loved it. I thought it was great. <laughs> I was I was I was well on board by that point. Yeah, I it, I, I don't know. I mean, I I wish they didn't waste the money shot in the trailer like at at the end them falling through those um, Yeah, that was a little bit silly. That 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 yeah, and I mean that that was a shame. But I mean I liked, I, I, to, I, to be honest, I liked McLean's idea of counterweighting the helicopter by, yeah. by just yeah. chucking a car out with it. You know, I thought, I don't know, that was balmy enough that I was, I was all right with it. You know, it, it just, it, it somehow it clicked for me. But um, I, I don't know. I just, I mean, in, in all, if if this film was the one after Die Hard with a Vengeance. If if it was Die Hard with a Vengeance and then this, I think there would be a fair bit of what the fuck. Yeah. Um, however, with Die Hard 4.0 existing, it make it makes me more appreciative of the good things we had in here, and also makes me realise that we are not going to get as as much as we as we would like to think that John Max Payne movie more could potentially make a film to be on par with the 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 best work of John McTiernan with the best will in the world that's not going to happen no it, it, it's not it's not a very well it, it, it's a competently directed movie a, a push i mean let's like say there was another bit in it where when they escaped from the safe house um, and they're on the run going from the safe house and then all of a sudden they're in an elevator and they've got a big bag of guns that they didn't seem to have be carrying with them earlier in it. Uh, there was bits like that where stuff would appear out of nowhere or disappear or th- there was there's gaps in, in this directorial work to be honest. It wasn't it wasn't a solid directorial effort. It gets by off the fact that you know you've got Bruce Willis being very John McClane and you've got I thought quite a good relationship with uh, with Jack in there I thought that worked quite well yeah um, I don't think I mean, the script is brutal at points it is so heavy fisted um, with reminding you that this is a diehard movie it, it, it gets a little bit fucking silly at points um, it, it's not quite it, it didn't hammer home the you know oh he's old as much as I thought it would do, um, they seemed to kind of, you know, they, they, it was it was brought up a few times, but it wasn't continuous, which it could have been. Uh, but on a whole, yeah, it, it's definitely the, the two principal characters that kind of take it through. Yeah, no, I, 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 exactly, exactly, and I mean. Um, I don't know, it, like, I mean, the relationship between Willis and Justin Long in Die Hard 4.0, to be honest, is probably one of my least problems with the film. But, I mean, it just, like, that, that, 
that film kind of felt like it was Len Wiseman like pandering a bit to a young audience so having Cameron Smith and Justin Long in there whereas with A Good Day to Die Hard it does kind of feel like they're trying to bring it kind of bring that it back to what it used to be but also with the worst excesses admittedly the worst excesses of today's action cinema you know um uh, too much CG, uh, quite a lot of cutting. Even though I think the action direction in this is 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 pretty solid, you can tell what's going on most of the time. You know, I mean, you, you like. Have you seen Taken Two? Yes. Have you seen the twelve A version or the fifteen version? Fifteen version. Right. The t- I, I don't know how the fifteen version is, but the twelve A version, like you cannot tell what is going on during most of the fight scenes because, as well as the shaky camera work, they are literally just cutting out it feels like they're cutting out entire shots it, it's the 15 version i think works a little bit better than I, I would assume from what it sounds like works a little bit better than that um taken's main problem is it is it is horrendously dull um nothing happens that that was my biggest issue with taken too um is that it, it, it's it's just crap <laughs> uh i i i, I mean if because I, I think this is a good this this is more comparable to something like Taken Two than anything else. I, I think that's the sort of film I would compare it against. Sure. Um, and this is it, it, you know if you liked Taken Two, then you, you'll fucking love this because it's it's a much much better film. Yeah. No. I, I, yeah. I mean, exactly. Even though I've got to say I wasn't. I, I don't know, maybe my standards, like, my acceptability standards for action cinema are just quite low, but I didn't have that much of a problem with Taken 2 either. I certainly like this more than that, but I was fine with Taken 2 because it was Liam Neeson going around and punching people, which, which is essentially what I want. And from a, a Good Day to Die Hard, I want Bruce Willis being a bit snarky and shooting people. Yeah, and I mean... I, it, it, Sorry, go on. He, he doesn't see. I like the fact that he hasn't gone grumpy. He you has know. his moments, but he has his I, moments. He, I, to be honest, I think he was more grumpy in Good uh, in uh, 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 Die Hard 4.0. Yeah, he, he, he seems to be smiling a little bit more in this. There's a lot of moments where he's kind of laughing uh, at points, and you know, he, he has this kind of air of comfortability about what's going on now. Sure. Like, you know, it, it, he's been through this four times now, so he just accepts the fact that, you know, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll you know, I, I've, I've survived all this four times. I'm sure I'll be all right now. Um, but, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I think, I, I, I honestly, I don't see how, I can see how people could not like this film, but I don't see how people could hate it. That's it's yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, I bet there are some people fucking screaming at at, at me certainly. Um, it, I, I just I don't get. I don't. I just don't get how people can be so what the fuck about this because I I just like I say if Die Hard four point didn't exist then I would be more with it but. It it, it 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 just it is what it is now. It is what it is. Um and and, and for what it is. Fine. I mean, uh, uh, rumours are that that, that uh, Willis actually got on quite well uh, with John Moore um, and uh, with Jai Courtney. Um, they, they actually that he didn't piss anybody off on set, which is strange for Bruce Willis because he has a habit of being, 
you know, sometimes been quite difficult to work with. Um, and he didn't get on very well with uh, Len Wiseman, um, which is no excuse, um, to, you know, for bad 4.0 to be bad. But, you know, if I was Bruce Willis, I wouldn't get on with Len Wiseman either. Um, but, you know, I, he'd originally, Willis had actually said, that, you know, this would be the last time he played John McClane. And then, you know, he's just signed up to do a sixth movie um, sort of quite soon. So this film's done very well and, you know, there'll be another one. And I think there's a bit of a kind of setup uh, at the end for the next one. Yeah. Uh, somewhat uh, with the fact that you've got, you know, Bruce Willis walking off with the other, you know, with his both of his kids. You know, he's done the daughter movie. This is the son movie. You know, number six would probably... You know, it, it's the case. It's probably going to be all three of them together. Uh, it'll be the family movie, and then essentially you've got you've got two trilogies. You've got an original trilogy and a, a you know a, a, another trilogy, and you put them together, and you've got a six movie franchise. I think that's that's where they'll go with it. Um, I'm not sure if Moore's signed on to direct the next one, but do you know what? At, at the end of it, I thought, do you know what? Yeah, I could. I could watch another movie of those two doing similar things that they were doing in this quite easily. Yeah, so could I. And um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, if it's the, the the kind of the family thing, I would be perfectly all right with Hans or Simon's relatives coming into it, you know, uh, and, and 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 trying to fuck shit up for the ending. If it was actually, I think. What could be interesting for Die Hard Six if it if it's that actually a direct threat to John McClane? Yeah. I mean, I like Die Hard with Vengeance had uh, elements of that, but then you know the whole thing was like subterfuge because Simon just wanted to distra- distract people so he could like steal a load of money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, 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 it would be interesting to see a threat to John McClane and him having to respond to that. Yeah, it, it would. It, I think. I mean, there's rumours um, that they want to kind of... They want to link the sixth one with the first one uh, in a lot of ways, that they want to kind of... Uh, they want to make it kind of bookend the series, um, which either that's them sort of hinting at the fact, like you say, bringing in, you know, villains relating to the original villains, or whether or not you take it right back and have it set back at the Nakatomi Plaza or something like that, I don't know. But it'd be nice if they kind of, if they did bookend it. I, I'd I'd happily take that. But yeah, I, I was I, I was pleasantly surprised. You know, if 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 we're wrapping up now and we're saying what we think, um, I would certainly say that um, a good day to die hard is definitely not shit. Yeah, I, I I would say definitely not shit as well, and uh, that might might be a controversial one. But in the end of the day, our old men who own Planet Hollywood trilogy, um, we've said definitely not shit for all three films. Success. How would you how would you rank them uh, if you're going for which one was your favourite, which one was your uh, least favourite? Uh, those three, where would you put them? In terms of like a top three. Favourite to least. Uh, yeah. Last Stand, Die Hard, Bullet. Yeah, that's that'd be mine as well. I'd, I'd say I'd be happy with with that. Um, I, I like I say, I, you know, I, as I said in the last podcast, I loved uh, Bullet to the Head. Uh, I thought it was wonderful seeing all that. But 
being honest, uh, I just think this this is probably a, a, a better film. I had as good a time with it as I did with Bullet to the Head, um, but it's probably a better film. Um, like I say, my standout for it was I was I was very impressed with Jai Courtney. I thought that he, he had the potential to just be a bit of a Sam Worthington and a bit, you know, just a big guy who looks a little bit like Bruce Willis. The thing is, but, like, sorry, go on. No, go on. You said. I, 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 like Sam Worthington. I think if he was in these kinds of roles, I think like a supporting guy. I think he would be better. I think if Jai Courtney actually tries to take on a lead role, that could go wrong very quickly. That could go wrong, yeah. But in this, as the backup to someone, I think he does perfectly well. As I thought he was good in Jack Reacher as well. Um, I, I, it, 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 I mean, he doesn't seem to be getting a lot of heat from either films, but I, I yeah, I like him. He, he could be one of those ones that kind of creeps up, like a little bit like uh, Channing Tatum did. Where they kind of they, they do a few little bits and they they pick their roles carefully and don't kind of jump the shark and go for you know a low budget or a mid to low budget you know action film and go right here I am you know he'll sort of slump float around occasionally throw in a lead role and then go back to doing something more ensemble and then move on from there you know he, he's picked his roles quite well so far. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was I was thoroughly impressed with him uh, in this. Um, let you see, he's got good villains. You know, he, he wasn't. You know, he's going back up against the Russians, which seem to be a popular choice again in Hollywood for the villains. Um, but yeah, let you say, definitely not shit. Cracking. Right, uh, we'll have you some uh, promos from other podcasts that we think you should listen to and that we listen to, and then we'll get into our one old, one new. Oh, hey there. It's Reverend Scott. You might remember me as backup singer for Kenny G and Millie Vanilli, but today I come to you as a fan of the Outside the Cinema podcast. For the last five years, Outside the Cinema has provided high-quality cult movie reviews every week without missing a week, and they do it all for free. But as you know, free isn't a lot of money. In order to upgrade equipment in the studio and give you the best podcast ever, we're going to need your help. Jump on the Kickstarter.com and search Outside the Cinema to become part of history. Got a movie or top six list you can't wait to hear? How about a limited edition OTC t-shirt. Want a guest host on the show or have Bill and Chris and myself do a commentary track to any movie you want? Well, now you can. You can get more info at facebook.outsidethecinema.com or listen what Cinema Diabolical's very own F-13 had to say. Here's the deal. We need cash to move the gear and get a little bit more gear. If you like the show and you want to keep hearing it, then donate. If not, f*** you. I'll go on vacations. Next. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I've ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, I just just getting confirmation. It's just in, that's the third time though. I mean, am I, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. You, you wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody you can keep, keep a secret. Let's go.
Right, Ian, do you want to give us your one old or one new? I don't know. I don't know which one to do. Um, fuck. Uh, um, I'll tell you what, I'll do, um, even though I, I wrote an article about this, um, I mean, I've only watched, I've watched, um, uh, three old since we last recorded and um you know i've talked about john carter a lot over the last year or so so <laughs> i'll leave that be um and i also rewatched aliens but you know it's aliens what you're supposed to say um so i'll talk about uh uh guillermo del toro's debut feature uh which i, I did write up a piece for um screen geek about this but um uh, uh his debut feature chronos uh which i'd only seen once before um, but I got the Criterion Blu-ray off of eBay uh, a few months back and uh, decided to uh, give it a pop. And it went from being a very good film, in my opinion, to maybe my favourite of Del Toro's. Uh, with, That's a ball claim. Yeah, I, I mean, like, personally, anyway, I could see how people could say that The Devil's Backbone or Pan's Labyrinth are his best films but i will say i think del toro sometimes lets his visuals and his just all over the place imagine and wonderful imagination get in the way of uh, get in the way of just telling a simple story I, I i can't help but feel sometimes his sketches and his doodlings he's maybe a little bit more in love with those than he is the actual story he's telling um but I, but i think chronos is a very very good fusion of these and as a debut feature is as confident and fully formed a debut feature as i think you're ever likely to find the, you know, the fact, I mean, he'd done a couple of short films before this, one of which is actually on the uh, on the Blu-ray. But um, the, the, the fact that he came to it and it, it's so you can see Del Toro's uh, like uh, themes and motifs and ideas from like his subsequent films just already here and realised in Chronos. And that's not to say that he gets boring or anything like that, but like his. Um, his kind of predilection for um, having um, young children be at the centre of the stories, Um, his obsession with a kind of a combination of organic matter and um, kind of mechanical clockworky kind of things, you know, um, uh, there's uh, the, the, the Kronos device itself. I mean, I I will just ask, you've seen Kronos, haven't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the Chronos device itself. There's a, there's a brilliant shot earlier on that's like inside the device, and you see this clockwork stuff ticking along, and the little insect parasite thing inside the device itself. And it's like already his his obsession with clockwork stuff. It comes up in um, Hellboy with the the clockwork villain, um, mm. and Hellboy Two, which like the climax, the climax of Hellboy Two is almost like it's taking place on a set that has been directly lifted from this shot in Kronos. It's, um, it, 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 it's quite something. Um, yeah, it, it, does have, it does have a lot of linking sort of themes running through his, his films that have come straight from 
you know, filmed as early as, as Christ. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, you know, and obviously, like, the kind of the parasitic uh, buggy kind of thing, it's, you know, it's a bit of that in, in Pan's Labyrinth. Obviously, Mimic is about, you know, bugs kind of taking on, like, increasingly human form and that, you know, that kind of thing as well. Um, and also, it, it, it's got his really, like, delicious dark humour already in it as well um like i'd forgotten the fact that um uh, the lead uh jesus um for half the film he's in a suit that's back to front and i didn't notice that first time round. but uh like spoilers for um chronos but uh basically like halfway through the film um he's kind of assumed to be dead and uh there's a, a great sequence in a morgue where the, the like the morgue attendants like making him look really good and then um his boss is just like uh, oh that's great work that's the best stuff you've ever done by the way uh we're actually going to cremate the body <laughs> and the guy's just like why did i do all this work uh, it's really dark but um for some like it, it and um when he uh when he kind of comes back to life, he, he steals the clothes, but he puts them all back to front and he spends the rest of the film in a back to front suit, uh, which is just so like childish and playful. I love it. Um, uh, but I mean, I mean, the, uh, the little girl, uh, Aurora in the film, she does exactly what she needs to do. She's cute and you feel empathy for her. Um, also, I mean, another link with his later films, Ron Perlman, I mean, the actor himself, but also Ron Perlman's kind of performance as a man child. Uh, which is basically Hellboy. Um, like this, this guy, he's, yeah. he's petulant and he's petty, but, and like, he seems to be at, in his element in, in this film early on where he's kind of mucking about with Aurora. The, 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 it, it, and that is basically Hellboy. It's Hellboy with his cats and, I mean, it, it's Hellboy having his tantrums. And, I mean, you know, Ron, Ron Bowen, I love, um, I, I just love his petulance in this. Like the, the way he's kind of like, uh, he doesn't say it to um, his uncle's face, but he's constantly just bitching about, about him. And uh, it, it's it's great. I mean, I, I, I also, it's paced perfectly. It's about an hour and a half long and it, it just tells its story. It's done and it gets out. Great spin on the va- uh, on the vampire mythos. Um, it, I, I just, I, I was very, 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 very impressed with this this time round, and um, it's one I think I'm going to be watching an awful lot more in the future. I mean, uh, Mark, what do you think? Mark? Uh, I'll be honest, I've not watched it in, ooh, years. Hello? Yeah, hello, I can hear you. You hear me? Hello? Yeah, Mark, I can hear you, bud. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can still hear you. No, gone. Good, good. Uh, yeah, so I, I didn't see this film yeah, since 15 years. So it's my first, um, my first introduction to Gimel Del Toro, to be honest. Um, and I, I watched it around just before uh, Mimic was released um, because I was reading a lot about this great film called Mimic, so I decided to track Kronos down. Uh, so I, I watched it then. So my memory is quite hazy, uh, but I remember it. I remember it being a clever kind of take on sort of the vampire legend and everything like that. And 
all I remember thinking was it, it, at the time it, it was quite strange seeing Guillermo del Toro, uh, sorry, Guillermo Toro, seeing Ron Perlman outside of uh, an American film. And now, so when you look back at it, Ron Perlman has always kind of done films outside of you know the American film market. You know, he's done a few French films. He's done work in Japan. He's done you know Mexican films and stuff like this. So it, it's definitely one that I think I need to I need to go back. Back and watch again, you know, all, all these years later, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can you hear me now, by the way? Yep, fine okay, now. Cool. Um, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, he's he's terrific. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's Chrono. So, I don't really have uh, that much more to say. Um, it's just it's a really really great piece of work, and uh, very much looking forward to Pacific Rim. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit nervous with Del Toro now, to be honest. I'm a, a huge Del Toro fan, but I think it just it, it it seems to take him more and more to make something now. Well, I mean, um, like in fairness, he did do an awful lot of work on the Hobbit. He did, yeah, um, but he seems to be very happy to kind of go tack his name on it and stuff and go from Gil Del Toro. And it's like, like all you're doing is producing it. And he seems, he does seem very happy with doing that. And I don't know, the whole Hobbit thing was a bit of a strange one. The fact that he did so much on it and then all of a sudden, you know, decided that, you know, Peter Jackson's putting his, you know, putting too much into it and, you know, I can't do this. And he goes off to Pacific Rim. It just seems, he seems like the sort of kind of guy who is a little bit like Terry Gilliam. Um, it, it, it seems like it, it's very difficult for him to make a movie. Which often can lead you to building these films up too much and then been a little bit kind of, oh. I don't think he's got the martyr, woe betide me personality of Gilliam. No, possibly not. No, no, I think that's that's certainly a fair comment, yeah. Uh, I'm just, I don't know, it it, it seems a long time to have waited uh, for a new Del Toro movie. since well, what was the last one was it? Hellboy two in two thousand and eight, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know you're talking five years there, and we're getting Pacific Rim, which is another Hollywood Del Toro movie. You know how long is it going to be between a Pan Labyrinth and another, you know, more personal Del Toro movie? It kind of sees it seems like that could be a, a, a ten year gap. The thing, I mean, that, that's that's interesting. I mean, the whole kind of one for one for them, one for me kind of argument. I mean, like, the, the Del Toro is a kind of a guy where I think that Pacific Rim could, and I mean Hellboy too as well. I mean, the Hellboy films in general. I think they are as much for him as they are for them. You know, it, it just, oh, I mean, just, yes, I mean, yes. just because some of his films are, um, you know, I, I don't do feel like they've got a more personal or kind of a quieter edge to them. I don't think that means that he. It doesn't, for me, feel like Soderbergh doing the Oceans films just so he could get the money to do the Solaris remake or Full Frontal. I don't don't think it's that. And I'm a big fan of the um, both Hellboy movies. Sure. I think Hellboy 2 is a a beautiful film at points. But um, when you put Kronos, Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth, um, if you take those and Mimic Blade 2, Hellboy, Hellboy 2 um, they are they're very different you know tone you can tell they're from the same director 
but they're a very different um, vision and a very different eye from the same director, certainly. And they've got a... They're, they're smaller and, you know, the Kronos, they're smaller and they're more intricate and they're... He doesn't seem like um, he's, he's holding back certain bits. I mean, he, he is slightly guided in his Hollywood work by, you know, very much similar to what I said about A Good Day to Die Hard. He's very much guided by the fact that he, he's got to make these films be a certain tone and a certain certificate, essentially, um, to get, you know, the, the type of budgets he does. Um, Hellboy 2, he kind of he went off in a different direction with it because... He, he definitely made his Hellboy too. You know, he didn't make a studio movie, but it, it it's still, although it's not, like you say, it's not like an Ocean's film, it's still not a Pan's Labyrinth or a, a Devil's Backbone. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, can, I can definitely see what you mean. I just, the, the guy that Del Toro is, I think he's having as much fun indulging in the in the kind of the creative process with the Hellboy films as he is with Pans. Even though maybe he's not engaging his his head as much, but it almost feels like he's still engaging his heart. I mean, Hellboy Two has some of the like the oddest kind of vi- like villains and like situations. And I mean, like the the plant in the city that's like forever growing that kind of that that little set piece there of like destroying a uh, like this one thing that will never ever be again for you know these oh, that people. is that is wonderful you know that that kind of idea like still rings true for that for me i i can't help but think with pacific rim I, I, I think there's got to be something else other than the, the monsters fighting kaiju I think it's. I think there's going to be something more to it than that because I think Del Toro would do more than that. Um, I don't. Know, I, I mean, maybe that's a discussion for another time. But I. I, I think. I think that's interesting. I, I. 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 I see what you mean, but at the same time, I think Del Toro being Del Toro, I think the Hellboy films are as personal to him and his creative passions as Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth are, even though. You know, Backbone, Kronos, and Labyrinth, uh, Labyrinth do feel like films of their own piece for sure. I I I I, I walked past Gilm Del Toro once. Really? Uh, yeah, I walked past him. In you, do you know that thing where um, you look at someone and you go, "God, that looks like blah," mm. um, and you know y- your first reaction isn't, "Oh my God, that's blah." Your reaction is, oh my god, that that guy looked so much like blah. Yeah. I walk by a guy and I turn turn up my friend at the time and saying, uh, "God, I look like Gabriel Tara," and he's like, "Who's that?" I was like, he's, he, he, you know, the guy directed Pan's Labyrinth, and he's like, "Don't know what he looks like." So I, I purposely um, sort of went and bought um, Q magazine. That's a Q magazine. Um, Total Film magazine. I knew there was an article about uh, what is it? But I went, that guy went, I did look quite a lot like him. And then it was about a couple of months later, um, the same friend uh, brought me a, a copy of Empire into work. And he started and I said hello to him. In fact, I came in the morning and he opened up Empire, uh, listed down it, and there was an interview with um, Guillermo del Toro in it. And he was talking about the fact that um, while he was filming. Um, 
Hellboy 2, um, he'd visited England and done like a, a tour of England and done like a really touristy tour. And he, you know, he, he'd got ideas and he'd been to all these places and he listed Edinburgh, York, Oxford and Manchester. <laughs> and he, my friend said, pointed at York and went, York. He was in fucking York. And he said, this interview, he checked, he went, this interview was interviewed this time. Went, I bet it was him. So there's no fucking coincidence that, that we walked by a guy who looked exactly like that and he was in York. Nice. Like, motherfucker, why don't I just go to him and say it? And the worst thing was, in my bag at the time, I had my uh, copy of um, Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, burn, really? So in, in my brain, I was like, I, I literally, and I walked like right past him. It, it, it still might not have been him, but fucking hell the guy was in York at the time and it looked a lot like that's him. rough um, anyway uh, moving on I'll, I'm going to give you my uh, one new which I've had to cheat slightly because uh, the only new film I watched this week uh, was Good Day to Die Hard okay. uh, just I've not had a lot of chance so it's one that I watched last week uh, but I watched it last Saturday night uh, so it's only eight days ago okay. so um, I'm going to take that the movie is... I watched this with my daughter. It was my daughter's oh, idea to watch God, this. Oh, here we but... go. Right. It's not another fucking Miley Cyrus film, is it? <laughs> it's not another Miley Cyrus film. I trust film, Izzy's that. taste more than yours these days, Mark. Go <laughs> you on. really fucking should. Um, we watched the um, American teen comedy film at Funside, <laughs> which was released um, at... What is it? And it's a Nickelodeon movie, and it's a, it's a Halloween movie. Um, do you know what? This movie um, is is so warped and so fucking strange. I've heard this it, actually. Yeah, it's actually it's actually pretty fucking damn good. Now I I'm an absolute sucker for a babysitter movie. Um, I fucking love babysitting movies. For some reason, they just they remind me of like the, the films that I you know that I used to watch as a kid sort of stuff like Adventures in Babysitting and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Day and films like that I, I, so I like them um, and this is a film it's about a kid called Ren um, whose father has died um, and her mother has kind of not taken it very well and her mum's now dating this 27 year old guy and she's going to all these parties with his kind of younger friends and she's essentially left to look after her, her little brother um, who is called I can't remember his fucking name he's got a right weird name Albert I think he's called uh, yeah Albert uh, uh, who is this weird little fat kid uh, who doesn't talk he's, he's a complete mute can understand things but just chooses not to talk and hasn't talked since his father died um, there essentially what happens is, is she has to then take him out on Halloween take him out trick or treating her best friend at the time wants them to go. Uh, April wants them to go to this party that uh, Ren's been invited to by Aaron, who is like the class fucking stud. He plays in a band and all this lot, and he's gorgeous and all these things. Um, and Ren thinks this is amazing because you know she's been invited by this guy, and then she thinks, right, it's great. I can take you know the kid out trick or treat in, and then we can go to this party. The kid goes missing. Uh, basically, he doesn't run away. He just kind of goes missing. Um, but then things go a little bit fucking weird. Um, the kid ends up being taken in by a guy called Fuzzy, who's a 
a, a clerk at a sort of local Seven Eleven, um, who decides that he's going to take the kid away to wreak uh, vengeance on a girl who shunned him by having an affair with uh, a guy called Jürgen, who we meet later on in the film. Jürgen is Johnny Knoxville dressed up in a hair metal outfit. <laughs> yep. Um, who is a complete sleazeball uh, who ends up kidnapping Albert. <laughs> um, and it all goes fucking weird. Um the least annoying kid from um, Project X, which is saying something, uh, plays a kid called Roosevelt, um, who, along with his friend Pang, uh, who is um, he's another kind of nerdy guy, um, they end up helping out Ren and April to go and find Albert, which at one point results in them backing up a car into a giant chicken, right, that falls on the car, but the chicken has this kind of dancing movement where it thrusts forward. So the chicken falls on the back of the car and is essentially humping the car for a good kind of, a good kind of like 30-odd seconds. Um, this chicken is effectively humping this car, which, for a film of this certificate... Um, it's it, 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 it's very kind of. I was sat there with my eight-year-old daughter, who's going, "Uh, what's that chicken doing in that car, and why is it funny?" And I'm there thinking, "I I don't want to explain this, but I know that she knows why it's funny. She just wants to make me feel uncomfortable, which it did. Um, it is it." <sighs> It's one of those films that is just, it's just kind of crazy enough to work. Um, it's, it's kind of teetering on the edge where if it, if it flickered a little bit more one way, it'd be, it would have been a 15. And if it flickered a little bit more the other way, it would have been dull. But it kind of lingers in the middle of being so fucking weird that it, it kind of works. And I actually, I actually enjoyed it probably more than I, I probably should, really. But that, that's about it. That's about all I'm going to say. I'm saying nothing. <laughs> I'm sure I'm the only fucking person that will ever see this movie. Um, but you just I, yeah, spent I, I, about six minutes of this podcast talking about fun size. <laughs> but do you know what? It's all right. I enjoy it. I don't it. believe you. <laughs> I think you should watch it. I don't. <laughs> I think you should. I, it's not happening. I think I'm going to make you. No, watch you're it. not. I am. No. I'm going to. I'm a clockwork orange. You're not going to. No, it. you're not. I am. I'm, I'm going to bring a copy of it. I'm going to pin it down. I'm going to clockwork Jesus orange you. fucking Christ. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, also as well, you are at several points going, watching it thinking, is this inappropriate? Is this a little bit too sexual? Um, well, what is, what is the rating? Is it a 12 then, is it? Uh, it's a 12, right, yeah. Okay. But it... it, it I don't know, it's weird, and it's strange seeing Johnny Knoxville in it as well. 
that's that's a strange one. Um, he's quite he's quite weird in it. But yeah, it, it's a fucking bizarre movie. It really is. Um, so, what is your uh, one new that you've watched this week? Um, well, here here I think it's going to be a pretty unique moment in history. Um, from from fun size to Akira Kurosawa's run. <laughs> Oh man, no one's ever fucking covered an Akira Kurosawa movie and fucking fun size. Like that will never ever happen ever again. Um, no. Okay, Ran. Um, so, uh, like the reason why I'm talking about this on here and not Heroes specifically is because I believe Jordan and Noel have both still never seen a single Kurosawa film. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that's still the case because um, I was talking about uh, high and low on the podcast, and um, they kind of both mentioned the fact. And in in a way, in a way, I can kind of see why because Akira Kurosawa is one of those directors where it kind of feels like you're not a cinephile unless you've seen the best work of Akira Kurosawa. You know that that kind of it kind of it feels like it, it's like with. Um, you know, like with Bergman or something, or like Antonioni, they they feel like films that you, it, it, it's like you're almost being forced to watch just so you've you've got that frame of reference. Um, however, um, I mean, I haven't seen too many Kurosawa films myself. Um, I, I watched High and Low for the first time last year. Uh, I've, I, I have seen Seven Samurai. Um, uh, you know, I've seen Rashomon, but that, that's actually about it. Um, so I, I'm I'm not gonna say I know the entire works. I'm sure I've probably only seen about ten percent of his work, if that. Um, but Ran, uh, it's on Netflix US and in uh, like full HD or super HD, as they're calling it. Super HD, which, which makes me laugh quite quite a bit. Um, yeah, so it, it's on Netflix US and it looks really nice. It does look really nice. Now, have you seen Ran? I have. Okay. Um, so basically, Ran is Kurosawa's retelling of King Lear, um, and uh, it, it's about, so it basically it's about a uh, king who or a lord uh, who uh, decides that his time has come to uh, basically pass the mantle, and he wants to basically divide his land up to his three sons and. Uh, the oldest and the middle one uh, are, are both very respectful, saying, yes, thank you, thank you, father. And the youngest one, uh, Saburo, uh, basically rejects the notion, saying that basically this is going to all end really, really fucking badly. This is a terrible idea. You're an idiot. I'm off. Um, I believe those were the actual lines of dialogue. Um, now, uh, Saburo turns out to be correct. Uh, the... The, the two older ones basically um, engineer it so that the father um, is basically left isolated, even though an awful lot of this is down to the um, scheming influence of one of their wives, the uh, rather evil uh, Ka- uh, Lady Kaide. And um, it, it kind of goes on from there as um, the, the great Lord um, Ichimon um, uh, basically goes mad and... Uh, tries to survive while the uh the kind of the, the the sons tear each other apart thanks also to kaide um it, it runs one of those films that i i watched it and just knew instantly like this this is a perfect film this is a film where if you changed 
a single element, it would essentially be a crime against cinema. Um, like every single moment, it's long as well. It is a good two hours, 40 minutes long, but it, it does everything that you kind of, that you want cinema to do. It tells, it tells a classical story, uh, but with enough twists in the tale to make it not feel like you're just watching things play out. Uh, it looks absolutely stunning. Uh, this is the first Kurosawa color film I've um, seen and, uh, uh, it, 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 it's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, towards the end, the, the battles where there, it, it's just like thousands of guys wearing, uh, the, the colors of their, of their kind of, their, their individual city. Uh, are, it, it, they're absolutely stunning. Uh, but then, I mean, it, it's, and, and it's got political intrigue and backstabbing, a stabbing. I mean, a lady Kaide, like some of the things she makes the men in her life do are insane, like just so dark. And uh, the way people stand up to them or submit, uh, submit, uh, stand up to her or submit to her uh, are just uh, wonderful. I mean, you've got. I mean, like she's the proper boo hiss villain of the piece, but you've also got people around her who are just fucking pathetic. Like just really wastes of human beings, and and that like when they get their comeuppance, it's just like yes, you know, in, in that in that in that kind of best most satisfying way. Um, also, I mean, uh, the, the Lord Ishimon and um, his kind of descent. That uh, Kurosawa is not afraid to play up the uh, the comedy in that as well. There's a terrific moment where his um, jester, uh, they're kind of they're walking along. And um, uh, they, they kind of reach uh, reach this kind of uh, precipice, and uh, the the uh, the the Lord is kind of babbling to himself, and then uh, the jester just says, "You know, if you want to walk off that thing, just walk off it." And what does he do? He just takes a fucking step out, and it just goes tumbling down. And it, it's I, I, it, I don't I'm not explaining it very well, but it, it's great. Um, uh, yeah, I, it just it the, the the film just it's. Incredibly cynical, and it's incredibly, and it's fucking heartbreaking at the end. Uh, there, there's something that happens to one of the good guys, I will say, that's very sudden, and I didn't see it coming, even though you kind of should do, really. That were, it was genuinely heartbreaking, and, um, by the end of it, it it's, you know, there, there, there are little seeds of hope, but the, the whole thing is basically saying, the world is a shitty place. Humans are all backstabbing bastards out for themselves when it comes to the comes to the end of it. And any goodness in the world, it, it will be taken away at some point. Um, I mean, I I think it was kind of towards Kurosawa's the, the end of his life that he he made this, and in a way, it, it does feel like that. The the end has the edge of a of a man who's kind of been well beaten and is tired. Uh, but that that very much adds to it. Um, Mark, Gran, go. Um, it is what Kurosawa has this this way of of doing. I'm, I'm a huge Kurosawa fan. Uh, what this way of doing is his long movies feel shorter than his shorter movies. Um, for instance, Rashomon, it, it, it's nowhere near as long as you think it is. Uh, it, it, it's I think it, it might even be under a hundred minutes, Rashomon. Uh, but it, it, it feels quite long. Whereas you've got something like um, Seven Samurai, it, it, it's it's a three-hour movie that, that feels um, quite 
not short, but it, it doesn't feel it's three hours. Um, Ran is one of those films where it, it feels it's two hours forty minutes, but at no point is it is it anything other than absolutely captivating. Uh, it looks beautiful um, from start to finish. Um, have you ever seen the the paintings, the Ran paintings? No. Um, essentially, what um, what Kurosawa did was this was this was the movie he wanted to make for years. Um, he actually another one of his movies that he made. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head now. Um, he basically he made a film. I can't remember what it's called. Um, and he, he said essentially that that that, that film was um, almost a dress rehearsal for this. Uh, I can't remember which film it was um, for Ram. Um, it was uh, Shadow Warrior. Um, so it, it was like a, it was like a dress rehearsal for for Ran, um, and he spent sort of ten years that he storyboarded it by painting the movie, uh, and then the production design was taken off the paintings that he did of the movie, and the paintings that he did for the movie were uh, were the storyboards for it, uh, and he kept the paintings next to the screenplay while he was directing and he'd, he'd look at it so he'd do all that and the paintings are absolutely stunning but yeah it, it's a it, it's a very powerful movie um, and a very a, a wonderful looking movie um, and it, it is very much Kurosawa um, I remember you know you, you often hear a lot of where people say um, sort of about but directors who who direct something that's that's very big and very grand, it's like you know the the skill that it must take to be able to control that many different things that are going on at once. Mm. Um, for instance, a great a great example is um, Spielberg's opening thirty minutes of Saving Private Ryan. Um, to be able to direct that is you know, it, it it's a hell of an achievement, and it's. It takes a certain level of director, uh, you know, above the norm. Um, I, I'm not the world's biggest Steven Spielberg fan, but you know, you can't deny the fact that he's an incredible director. Yeah. Um, Bram very much is is one of those films where you you're watching it going, Jesus Christ, this is this is a level up from normal filmmaking, from even very good filmmaking. This is a level up, and it, it is that that good. Uh, but I think a lot of the time, going back to what you were saying about um, people, um, there is a, a slight bit of um, film geek snobbery with Kurosawa. Um, and like you see, like Bergman and people like that, he is kind of a, a film geek darling. I think a lot of the time with, with someone like Kurosawa, it's, it is sometimes where do you start uh, with it? And sometimes these films are built up so much, like Rashomon yeah. and Seven Samurai, that it, it's difficult to go into them in thinking, well, I don't want to watch Rashman and not like it. Um, and, I mean, a, a very a, a strange one, moving away slightly from Rand just for a couple of seconds. Um, I know um, Social Network, when uh, Aaron Sorkin wrote the screenplay for Social Network, his, his main influence on that was Rashman. Um, because he wanted to apply that kind of logic, and he was saying, you know, with with Rashomon, it's um, Rashomon isn't a story of what happened; it's the story of what. Have you seen Rashomon? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a story of what three people say had happened, and you get you get the differences coming from each one, yeah. and you got you get how that works, and that's what social network is. Social network isn't the story of how Facebook started; it's the story of how people say Facebook started. Um, and it, that's you know, there's, there's that principle in, in in kind of working towards that. Um, so yeah, it, it's it, it's a wonderful film, uh, and I'm, I'm now I know that it's on because I, I on um, US Netflix. I'm on Canadian Netflix at the moment. Oh, yeah. I'll be switching back to uh, US, and I'll be watching that very soon in Super HD. <laughs> um, right. Well, uh, segueing quite nicely um, into uh, what I'm going to talk about as my um, one. Oh God, here we um, go. Right. Eh? Yeah. Is uh, I, I, and I'm not going to talk about it for, for very long because it's a film that uh, I talked about quite a lot. I, I want to talk about uh, social network. Oh, cool. Um, hello. Yep. Oh, don't think made a noise. Um, I want to talk about social network um, because I, I watched it again um, the other night. Uh, it was one of those things where. My wife was at work, and I thought, I want to watch a movie, uh, what shall I watch? And I happened to flick on um, onto one of the Sky channels, uh, and the social network just started. And in my brain, my brain went, oh, I'll leave social network on while I go and decide what I'm going to watch. Yeah. And then, of course, an hour later, I was still just sat watching the social network. And for a film that was only released, what, under two years ago, uh, two and a half years ago, about two and a half years ago. Um, this is my sixth or seventh watch of the Social nice. Network, and I've only actually sort of, you know, not at the cinema. I've only actually sort of sat down to watch it um, since watching the cinema. Specifically, I watch it once. Um, I, I end up just accidentally kind of watching it. Uh, and starting watching it, but uh, it was only when I was watching this time that I noticed I'm still noticing new bits within social network. Uh, I'm not going to say what the social network's about. Everyone always already knows about what the social network's about, and I'm sure everyone's already seen it. Uh, but and I'm not going to talk about it for very long. But I, there, there were certain bits where I watched it going, I, I never noticed that bit. There's a bit where a, a great scene, possibly my favourite scene in the film. Uh, where the uh, Winklevoss's um, lawyer is turning around to uh, Mark Zuckerberg and saying, sorry, do I have your attention? And he's saying, you know, no, you don't. You don't have my attention. You have the minimal amount of attention I need to yeah, give you. Yeah. And he goes over on that speech. I never noticed that once he's finished that, that their lawyer turns around and winks at them. I hadn't noticed that. And it's just, it seems to be that every time I watch this film, it just lifts a little bit higher up in my estimations. And it just, it gets that little bit better and better and better and better. And it, it, it shouldn't be like that. You know, the, the more you watch movies um, like this, which isn't a, it isn't like a diehard pure entertainment movie. Um, it's more... There's more to it. There's more substance to it, and there's more weight to it. Um, you know, it, 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 there should be a point where you go, Do you know what? I enjoyed this bit, and I enjoyed this bit, and I enjoyed this bit of it. But you know, 
this bit drags a little bit. But it doesn't. It just still bounces along like crazy. And you start to focus on different bits at different times. Um, I mean, it, this time when I was watching it, I was paying less attention to um, Jesse Eisenberg and Andrew Garfield and paying more attention to Timberlake um, and his portrayal of Sean Parker. And he, Like I say, you just pick out different bits of it and it's still, after six, seven watches, a, a, a truly incredible movie. And I think that, you know, I mean, at the time when he, after it came out and when it sort of went up for the um, Academy nominations and stuff like that, I think even though most had seen it and, and enjoyed it a lot, I think it still had that, that the Facebook movie um, thing about it. And I think we, we, we struggle to appropriate modern movies as being sort of genuine you know, classics and genuine, perfect movies. And I think that the social network, that as things go on, I, I, I think it could end up being Finch, one of Finch's perfect movies. Um, and then we, I, I, you look back at it, you know, there's, he's got a lot, a lot more perfect movies than directors who've made a lot more movies than he should have. Yeah. You know, you've got. Zodiac, you could argue, is a perfect sure. movie, I would say. I think you could argue to an extent that Seven is a perfect movie. For the type so, of movie exact, it is. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. You know, it, 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 it's, it's a totally... For the type of movie it is, it, 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 it's perfect. Um, so, like I say, I, I don't want to talk about it for very long, so we talk about it loads, but I just wanted to kind of put out there that this is... It's one of those movies that I, I don't think it gets... The actual credit it deserves, it gets a lot of credit and a lot of praise, but I think it should get more. Um, I, I personally, I still think it's the best film of this decade. Um, uh, it, it, nothing has come close for me so uh, so far. Uh, in in in, in I, I really, I mean, I suppose Drive is a it is great, but it doesn't have the weight of social network. But the wonderful thing about social network is it has weight, but it still has a sense of fun to it. I mean, it blows my mind that Fincher considers it to be one of his slight, like more frothy kind of like just knocked it out kind of films. That, yeah, it, that's it, amazing it, to a, me. You know, it's, it's a strange thing from that. I mean, what I'll say is, um, I, I put it as my, um, for 2010, it was my number nine. Um, I did, I do mention in the, when I put it as number one, I did mention that I, at the time I'd only seen it once and that I thoroughly expected, um, it, 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 it to sort of move up, um, uh, my list. But if I was to sort of relook at that again, um, I would say now that I, I think it probably is my favorite movie of that year. Um, just edging out um, End of the Void. Fair play. So, yeah, so that was that, that was uh, Social Network. Right, so we're going to move into our uh, discussion topic, which was thought of by Ian, so I'm going to let Ian take the reins on explaining what we're going to discuss. Yeah, so um, basically I, I, I've been... Uh, 
I, I watched most of High Fidelity over the last couple of days. I'm planning on finishing it tonight for some reason, even though High Fidelity is only an hour and 45 minutes. It's, it's going to take me three sittings to actually get through the whole thing. Um, pardon me. Uh, but there's a moment in that where, uh, you know, in the record store, they're asking about, uh, they ask each other various questions and whatnot. And um, Jack Black at one point asks if it's better to out or, uh, burn out or to fade away. Now, this ties neatly into the news this week that Harrison Ford has apparently been and well, I was about to fall into that trap. I love that him apparently being confirmed is news. Like that's such a fucking oxymoron. It's insane. Um, but um, it, 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 like apparently he has agreed to return as Han Solo in the Star Wars films, uh, the new, well, at least Star Wars Episode Seven. Uh, and you know we've just finished our trilogy of old men who own planet Hollywood. Um, and and you know the box office for the Stallone and the Schwarzenegger ones uh, was pretty rough, frankly. Um, a Good Day to Die Hard looks like it's made about thirty million ish in the U.S. this weekend, which uh, is around about the same as what Die Hard 4.0 made uh, in its opening weekend. So. Um, uh, you know, there is that. So I, the, the question is basically, when it comes to older movie stars, is it better to burn out or to fade away? I I think it it, it depends on the um, on the movie star. To be honest, um, it depends on on their attitude towards it. Um, it. It seems like, for instance, someone like Stallone and Willis. Um, are going down, sort of kicking and screaming a little bit. Uh, I think is the best way to do it. They're not, they're not fading into the background. They're not cropping up, um, you know, in in the background and doing sort of cameo appearances or anything like that. And despite the fact you've got Stallone he's in his sort of mid to late sixties, and you know Bruce Willis is in his mid fifties, you know they're still. They're still doing the films that kind of made them who they are. Um, whereas you've got someone like Ford, who, let's be honest, has looked fucking disinterested in being an actor for fifteen years now. Um, you know, he he hasn't really um, made a, a, a really good movie for a number of years now. Whereas I think. At least you've got people like Willis um, and Stallone are still making, you know, entertaining movies. They might not be making great movies, but they're still entertaining people. But when you look at, I mean, if you if you just go back to you know the past ten years uh, of someone like Harrison Ford, I mean, you've got Hollywood Homicide, um, Firewall, um, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Bollocks. Um, Crossing over, extraordinary measures, morning glory. A, a, a film where he actually plays a grumpy bastard. Cowboys and aliens. Um, and then he, he's got a few coming out this year. Uh, you know, and he's he's actually funny enough. He's rumored to be in Expendables three as well. Um, it, I think when you when you get to that level, you, you've either got a you know bow out like Gene Hackman did for instance Gene Hackman retired because he didn't think he could make movies as good as his old movies um, same thing for uh, Joe Pesci uh, Joe Pesci you know, got very ill and just said you know I'm, I've spent the past five six years making shite and I'm bored of it now um, 
so he, he just stopped making movies. Uh, another one I think you can throw into the, the, the kind of what we're looking at here um, would be someone like like De Niro. Um, is is De Niro taking a bit of a shit on his legacy, uh, making the comedy movies and the movies he makes? Surely, being honest, for the money, uh, it's not for the money to, to swell his bank account as as much. You know, he has a lot of projects that he likes doing, and a lot of movies get made off the back of um, his Tribeca company. You know, and he gives, you know, he puts on the Tribeca Film Festival and he funds theatre work. You know, we wouldn't have a We Will Rock You uh, without De Niro. You know, he paid for that. Um, and when you look at his producing credits and, you know, he, he gives people a chance. He, he invests a lot in local theatre and things like that. Um, and some of these local theatres are where people like Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, and John Hawks managed to keep themselves ticking over so it, I think our, my personal thing is, is it depends on how they approach it if they approach it in the way of somebody like Ford where he looks like he really can't be arsed and he's just turning up to keep his sort of name in the hat a little bit or whether or not you approach it somebody like Christopher Walken for instance or Samuel L. Jackson who are just happy that they're in their mid to late 60s or early 70s and they're still been offered these fucking roles, and they'll do anything that either helps a friend out or, you know, interests them. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's. I, I think it's also a, a large part of it is is accepting. It is accepting the kind of roles you are going to be offered. I mean, in the end of the day, like Willis Stallone and Schwarzenegger, like. I, I, actually, I suppose to varying degrees, they've all tried something different. Um, but it, 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 it's kind of weird that they all are all just going back, back with this. I mean, it's fair to say that Willis, unless it's a diehard film, in terms of action, he's pretty much done now in terms of opening a film. And, I mean, I think Expendables 3 is obviously not going to have a problem getting bankrolled. And, you know, Schwarzenegger's obviously got, he, I mean, he's got another two films in the can already. But the, the performance of The Last Stand calls into question whether he's actually going to be able to get a Terminator 5 done. E- even though, then again, it's the brand name which is going to sell it. Um, but I mean, I mean, I mean like, it, out of that lot, I'd be most worried, frankly, I'd be most worried about Stallone. Because Willis is happy to do roles in other kind of genres whereas Stallone even though he tried in the 90s like with 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 uh Copland most notably it which he is magnificent which he's amazing in it it, it doesn't feel like he's ready to give this stuff up yet and Schwarzenegger doesn't either but the thing about Schwarzenegger is that he has franchise names to fall back on and Willis has diehard films to fall back on also, also as well, I think um, I think with with, with Schwarzenegger, it, it, it's slightly different to Stallone because Schwarzenegger was he was a bodybuilder, then he was an actor, then he was um, then he was a you know a political figure, and now he's gone back to being an actor. I think you know for Schwarzenegger, if if let's say in two years' time. You know, his next two films didn't do great theatrically and didn't do great on home video. Um, and it came to it and it, 
he was he was getting offered the kind of roles he was getting offered in the late nineties. You know, the executive decisions and the stuff like that, where they weren't doing great business. I think if it came to that, he could happily go step back and go, I'm going to go and do something else. You know, I'm going to go and fuck it. I'm going to open a vineyard. He could do something like yeah. that. Whereas I think Stallone, this is all he's got. Um, the, the, all he's got is, is this. And he doesn't, he doesn't seem to know how to do anything else. You know, it, and I think what he's often forgotten about a lot with Stallone is he's not just an actor. It, he's a writer and he's a director. And he's actually a writer and a director as much as he is, is an actor. He's a, he's a filmmaker and he's quite an accomplished filmmaker. Um, I still think there's very few filmmakers out there who direct balls out action as well as Stallone does. It's whether or not he can, when his body sh- just simply can't do this anymore. Um, it's whether or not, you know, it, he'll decide, right, I'm just going to direct. I'm not going to direct movies with me in it. I'm just going to direct. Because there is going to become a point, and it isn't going to be far off, when he's, you know, he Stallone does seem like the guy who, he's either going to have to go, I can't do this anymore, or he's going to die on set of, you know, Rambo 7, trying to jump out of a fucking plane at 82 years old. You know, he seems like that kind of guy, where... He's all or nothing. You know, if that's the way he goes, fine. Um, and you know, he's got a, a few movies, you know, he's got the team coming out, you know, we've just been told there's going to be a new Rambo film, which I was extremely excited about. Um, he's also got one that he's making, funnily enough, with De Niro, where they both play aging boxers um, who come back. Oh, God, to, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, which is going to be kind of, kind of a comedy. Um, but what I would hate to see is, is Stallone slip back into that kind of, that, that place he was between kind of daylight Copland and, um, and, and Rocky. Um, so I, I, I'd hate for him to slip back into that, that place where he was doing detox and the get Carter remake. And driven. Driven. Um, Shade, even though Shade's actually quite an entertaining movie, um, you know it, he's he's on a good level, and I, I'd hate for him to slip back into those straight to fucking DVD movies because you know Hollywood is 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 a better place for people like Stallone and Willis and Schwarzenegger. You know, beyond that, we're starting to get a new wave of action hero uh, with um, The Rock. Um, and Statham and people like that, and you know the action hero is is making a comeback. But do any of those guys, you know, I'll, I'm not including Statham in that, um, and The Rock. Outside of those two, is there anybody with enough outside charisma, you know, to match up to these three guys? And I just, I don't think there is. So with them, I, I think it. it if they start going back that way, where it's the you know the shitty output, I'd prefer him just to go. Do you know what? I'm not fucking doing that anymore. Yeah, but that's yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, bringing up the the Rock and Statham as well. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see how long they go. Really, as well, because I mean, 
The Rock has got actual acting chops. You know, I mean, he he does, and uh, I, I mean, Jason Statham kind of does to an extent. I mean, he's good in Snatch, even though he's basically playing Jason Statham, and I love the Statham. You know, I love the Statham. Oh yeah. But it it'll be interesting to see what kind of career path they go down because Statham is already doing the. He basically does like three films a year where he like he's got a niche for himself where there are certain budget they'll get a certain release and excuse me they're pretty they'll make their budget yeah back. they're pretty much guaranteed to make X amount of money even though I know um, Stephen's latest Parker hasn't done very well in the US and we'll see how that does over here but um it it I, I it's going to be interesting to see how they go as well and and whether they are able to expand out and I think that the the Rock is you know I mean he's got Fuck me, he's got like three films in three months coming. Um, I mean, if you look at I me, mean, just going back to Statham, um, Parker didn't do well, um, but it hadn't been released in the UK yet, and I don't think it's been released in um, Japan yet, has it? And it, it's almost made back its budget. That's interesting. You know, and he opens, he opens very well in the UK. That'll make a decent amount of money in the UK. And he opens well in Japan, uh, in, in China. You know, he does well out there uh, in Asia. So he still that's fall back on. But again, as well, it, it, it's I think we said it a, a few weeks ago. With, with kind of like action films, home video makes more of a difference um, than um, than other movies. So and these movies do well on that. Parker will sell a shitload of fucking. DVDs and Blu-rays, no matter what. Yeah. I mean, for instance, a film going back to what you're saying about The Rock, um, he did uh, a film Faster, which did fuck all at the box office, but made a decent amount of money on home video. Yeah. So go, 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 go back to what you're saying. Sorry. No, no. I was, to be honest, I was pretty much done. Yeah, I mean, the interesting one for the, I think the turning point for um, The Rock will be Pain and Gain, because in that, you know, that's got a, quite a bit of story behind it. Um, and so that'll be interesting to see how how that story pans out. And, you know, it, it's very strange to say this, but actually looking forward to a, a, a Michael Bay film. Oh, Pain and Gain, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean... I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed um, the uh, the talk on the Fast and Furious um, that you did on Heroes a couple of weeks ago um, about how the Fast and Furious franchise seems to have gone from being this thing of derision to um, everyone adoring it, and it's a bit it's a bit strange. I mean, I'll admit I, I watched the um, the trailer for Fast and Furious Six. Um, about a week after everybody else watched it, um, I was very much kind of, I, I had to look around because I was thinking, have I seen a different trailer of everybody else? Because this just looks like another Fast and Furious movie. I don't, I don't see with Fast and Furious 6 um, what everyone else is seeing that makes it look like it's going to be one of the action films of this year. I'm a little bit confused. It might be good, don't get me wrong. And, I'm looking forward to aspects of it, but it doesn't jump out and grab me like it does everybody else. It seems. Yeah. No. Abs- uh, yeah. Absolutely. I just. 
oh, I don't know, don't get me started on the Fast and Furious, but we'll, 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 <laughs> see, we'll see, we'll see. But, um, yeah, I think it, it's a strange one. I think um, I, I know it's one thing uh, we've done here is we haven't at any point mentioned um, actresses. The thing is with a- a- actresses, it, it's it's interesting because in the end of the day, like the, I mean, because we've been mainly talking about action stars as well. I mean, I know we we referenced to Nero, but the the, the thing is, I mean, it, and it, this is a part of the, the, the massive gender inequality in, in, in Hollywood, that it's basically child star, hot, young thing, mother, grandmother, that's about it. Mm. Yeah, you know, I mean, that, those are basically the four tropes that women, uh, like actresses, fight, find themselves in generally in mainstream Hollywood. But I mean, you look at someone like uh, Amy Adams, for instance, and she is, you know, already doing like every single role feels like it's incredibly different and couldn't be. It's almost like they couldn't be played by the same actress. Like the fact that Amy Adams was both in, like in in the space of oh, like a year and a half, say, she's in the Muppets. She's in the Master, and she's in Man of Steel. You know, yeah. and, and, like it, that. That that's incredible, and that's the thing. She already feels like she's going to be a Meryl Streep. Oh, don't say that fucking word. Well, no, just in that you know she's always going to be around, and she's going to be like taken for granted. But yeah, whereas you, you, a lot of times, what happens is an actress has their more than an actor has their kind of their three four years and then then that's it they have a dip where they'll they'll either disappear or they'll they'll go and then they'll reappear 10 years later and you'll go oh whatever happened to her that's it's it's like where is kate bosworth at the moment (laughs) yeah um what was she She was in movie 43 wasn't she that was it and you had seen in something was she yeah she was you know the eye babe Oh God! Yeah, she was. You know uh, the actress who's saying, "Well, it's because it looks like a girl." Yeah, yeah. Like a, that's Kate, Kate Bosworth, and at that point, I was thinking, "Really?" Yeah, you know, it wasn't like, oh, well, you know, she. It wasn't like she was there with all these other big stars. It was like, it was like she turned up on the day and went, "Can I be in this?" And they went, "Um, yeah, there." And then about halfway through shooting, someone went, "Did you know that's Kate Bosworth?" Fuck is it? Oh, we could stick her name on post, I suppose. It was more like that, but yeah, there has been, you know, Jessica Biel to an extent. You know, she was at one point a next big thing, and has kind of just become Justin Timberlake's missus a little bit. Yeah, she crops up in movies every so often, but you know, she's not really doing what what we expected her to sort of go on to do. Uh, it, 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 it's true. There is still that weird kind of inequality, I think, across it. Um, but I think it, I think that's opening up a little bit. I don't think it's as bad as it was sort of ten years ago. I think it, it, it is becoming more of a level playing field um, um, I, I, than, it, than it was. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I think in all, it, it basically to, it, it does really come to what kind of actor you are and how open you are to trying different things and to accepting 
where you are. Like, it, it's weird, like Bruce Willis, the dichotomy of Moonrise Kingdom and A Good Day to Die Hard, you know, both within the same 12-month rolling period. And, like, one of them is the accepting he's getting older, playing the sad sack guy who's looking back on his life and realising he's made mistakes, and then playing John McClane. You know, he's kind of having his cake and eating it a little bit, and good on him, I suppose. The, the thing about um, about Bruce Willis is, is he crops up in so many movies. You know, he's a he's an incredibly hard-working actor. Um, and... It's very rare you ever see a truly bad Bruce Willis movie. You know, he occasionally makes a movie that isn't great, but it it, it sort of he has maybe like a one in every sort of five will be not brilliant. But then when you look at the sheer amount of movies he makes, it, it's it's not really that bad a ratio to have. Um, I mean, just if you just sort of look at what he's made, even in the past, out of work he actually gets from. I'm just going to bring up his his CV and his, his, his filmography, and just sort of there's movies in there where you go, shit, he was in that, and it's it, it's a strange one. Um, going from duh, 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 let's say what what's it? It's going from 2006, right? Uh, you've got Alpha Dog, 16 Blocks, Fast Food Nation, Looking Under Sleather, Over the Hedge, uh, Perfect Stranger, Grindhouse, Live Free, Die Hard, What Just Happened, uh, Assassination of High School President, Surrogates, Cop Out, Expendables, Red, Set Up, Catch 44, Moonrise Kingdom, Lay the Favourite, Expendables 2, Cold Light of Day, Looper, Fire with Fire, Good Day to Die Hard. That's just sort of in the past sort of six, seven yeah. years. That's a, for an, a, a star of his level, you know, a, 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 he is, Bruce Lee is a proper A-list, you know, Hollywood legend almost. Mm. To come out with that many movies is, is pretty fucking astonishing. And he does make lower budget or lower budget uh, independent movies as well. You know, he crops up in you know, Assassination of a High School President and Catch 44 and stuff like that. You know, they might not be great movies, but, you know, he, he, he's very willing to lay his name to them. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. That, 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 yeah, I mean, that's interesting. It just, he, I actually have more respect for Bruce Willis the more I think about it, to be honest. Like, the sheer, the sheer variety of stuff he does is really quite amazing. Um, mm. And it's like, it, it's not, obviously not because he just needs the money or anything like that either. And it's almost, no. it's almost like he's giving people a boost up. Like, I mean, with Looper, like his name basically got that film greenlit and, and it was, you know, it's quality material. I think, I, I think he genuinely, I think he, he, unlike, and just going back to it, it sounds like I'm bashing Harrison Ford, but I, I, I used to really like Harrison Ford. I still like Harrison Ford. I still think he he, he can be a, a great presence. But but I've been so... found his work so incredibly despondent uh, recently that it, it, it's a little bit... It's a little bit galling, to be yeah. honest, that, that, that he's doing these things. And it, it just seems like... I don't know... I, you question his methods with the Han Solo thing. Is he doing it and going, 
I'll do it, but I want 20 million. I think, you know, I think it's this time you're going to write it that I die like I wanted to in Return of the Jedi. I yeah, die at the end of the first act for, to be the shit got real thing. I'm in. Yeah. Um, but with, with Willis, he seems to really like being an actor. Yeah. You know, and stuff like he likes to, you know, he can turn up on set, for instance, um, for um, Expendables, you know, and help his mate out. But at the same time, you know, he'll do Assassination of High School President, which is a perfectly decent movie, but he was only on set for two days for that. But whether or not that movie helped get him, may or not, I, I don't know, but it will certainly have helped along the way somewhere. Uh, he was in Moonrise Kingdom because he wanted to work with Wes Anderson. Mm. You know, it, it, he seems to do these things. You know, he's in the next G.I. Joe movie, for God's sake. Um, and he doesn't need the money, but it just seems like he's gone, well, yeah, it'll be fun. Even though already, like, judging by the material and the, the, the marketing for G.I. Joe, it already looks like there's going to be more I'm getting old jokes in that than uh, than ever oh, there yeah. were in Good Day to Die Hard. The whole kind of, like, how are you? I'm okay. Cholesterol's a little high. You know, it, it just... Yeah. Red was a little bit like that, and then we've got a Red 2. <laughs> Which I'm looking Something forward to, damn it, because I actually quite like Red. I, re- I, do you know what? I really liked Red. thought it was brilliant. Don't need a fucking sequel. No, don't need a sequel in the slightest. But then again, this time we've got um, Anthony Hopkins as the bad guy, so why not? Yeah, you see, I'm the exact opposite with Anthony Hopkins. Oh, my my thing about that is, Red 2, with Anthony Hopkins as the bad guy, it's like, oh, fuck off. I can already see the reviews now. Oh, it's brilliant. He's so hammy. That doesn't fucking make it good. <laughs> and, and the one thing that Red could have done with less of it was Helen Mirren I love Helen Mirren but I'm already fucking bored of her in the past few years because essentially it's like in that movie it's like oh yeah look, it, she, she's this quaint sort of British grandma but she's really good with a gun oh <laughs> fuck off you know I, I, I have a feeling that Red Red 2 is going to be everything I expected Red to be and it wasn't that's why I liked it. Uh, so, wrapping up um, our, our discussion, uh, I, I think that it's it depends on your attitude yeah. on whether or not it's better to to um, burn out or uh, you know fade away or uh, go out in a blaze of glory. I think it, it depends on your attitude towards it. Uh, I'll be happy with Bruce Willis cropping up and doing ten minute roles for the rest of his career. As long as he doesn't, you know, rather than making Diad 17. There we go. Which could happen. Which could happen. Right. I um, need a wee. <laughs> Ian needs a wee. Sorry, back in a sec. Yeah, no, everybody. Right, we're going to play a little uh, clip. I think, do we even have a trailer clip? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll find some. Yeah. yeah, we're going to play a little clip of trailer or something um, from. Oliver Stone's seizure, uh, and then, then we'll get into it. Basically, we're going to look at, for our marathon, the more sleazy and more down and dirty works of Oliver Stone. Um, so, over the next few weeks, you're going to be looking at seizure and the hand, and 
we're also going to look at sort of like the hedonistic sort of films of the mid 90s with stuff like Natural Spawn Killers and U Turn. Uh, and we will be looking at his most recent film, Savages. Uh, we are also, in some way, because this was um, suggested by uh, one of our listeners via Twitter, uh, he does want us to look at any given Sunday. So at some point during this um, marathon, we might do a kind of double bill and throw any given Sunday in there, despite the fact that it doesn't really fight our remit of sleazy yeah, stuff. Yeah, we got we got to um, help out Glenn there, I think. But we've got to get that up on Glenn. And also, I do think that Any Given Sunday does have a lot to talk about. So, Glenn, we will be talking about Any Given Sunday at some point over the next sort of five or six episodes. Um, so, here's a little clip from Seizure, and then we'll, we'll get into talking about this, this film. Just a little public service announcement from Ian before uh, we, we play this TV spot for Seizure. This was the only trailer or anything I could find for Seizure on YouTube uh, which is pretty much the net, I would think. Uh, the quality is really, really crappy, but it's only 30 seconds long. Bear with it. Cheers. And don't ask us who we are or where we come from. Our only purpose is death. You can never run from it. You can never hide from it. The breath-stopping panic of seizure. Okay, that was a, a little clip from Oliver Stone's debut feature, uh, the mafia-funded seizure, uh, which is a kind of horror film that um, stars uh, the um, well, I, I, I would describing as the uh, non-union Mexican equivalent of Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, that's, uh, that's perfection. <laughs> yes, he is. Oh, he is, isn't he? He does. I, I was. I, <laughs> it killed me. Um, Matthew Beswick uh, as the as, as and I'm gonna tell you what her character's called. People, she's called the Queen of Evil. <laughs> I mean, what a fucking perfect name. And Harvey Villachese, I think, is Villachese. Villachese. Yes, as Spider. Right, and uh, stop he is, right there. Go watch the uh, film and then come back. It's yes, on uh, it YouTube. Is, it is on YouTube. Um, it's it, it it's it's a horrible copy of it, but yes, go and watch it and then listen because <laughs> we're going to spoil it. Just uh, just <laughs> the fact that if you want to see a film where her <laughs> credit, I put this on my Instagram. I liked it so much. The fact that the credit at the start of the film actually says and Hervé Villachey as the spider. Um, yep. it, it just like it, you, you have to see this film when I come back because we are going to go full spoilers. And to be honest, there's stuff in here that you just want to you just want to have take you by surprise. To be honest. Yeah, uh, so go back and then come back. Uh, it, it, it's not long. It's only like 95 minutes, but yeah. Right, so Ian, what do you think of Seizure? Um, the thing is, I'd, um, I've never heard of Seizure before. Um, but, uh, like, uh, I, I always thought that uh, Stone's directorial debut was The Hand, which we'll discuss next time. And um, I was actually having a, a, a text conversation with Mondo Dan uh, yesterday. He was asking what I was up to, and I was saying, um, 
you know, I was just watching um, Oliver Stone's uh, first feature, and he said well, I wasn't out of the hand. I was like, no seizure, and he was like, what the fuck? And um, it, <laughs> I don't know the story of how um, uh, of how Oliver Stone started uh, started out with this, but you know, a lot of like famous directors started off with um, like just bizarre films you'd never think they 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 would make. Um, I mean, Christ, um, didn't um, didn't Scorsese start with Boxcar Bertha? Uh, I think it was it was definitely one of his earliest films, Scorsese. I don't think it was his first film. Uh, I think he he may have made something before but, Boxcar. But I mean, like, and then I'm, I, but it's very early on in his. Yeah, it was it was certainly one of his first. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I've got to have a look at this now. I've got I, I fucking do as well. Uh, no, his first one was uh, he was like knocking at my door. I've got, um, according to IMDb, his first one was something called I Call First. Yes, that's the, who's that knocking at my door? Oh, uh, okay, is that like, uh, film, yeah. oh yeah, okay, fair yeah. enough. Um, which, is, which I'll say is actually a really good fucking film. Sweet, Kytel's in it, looking really young. Um, mm. Okay, that's going on the list. Um, it should do, yeah. Yeah, that's totally going on the list. Okay, well, um, yeah, so like, just random, random things, but... The thing is with seizure, I mean, it's and it's probably just the copy that we watched. Um, it's which did you notice was by Cinerama, Cinerama Releasing Corporation. I, I actually clapped when I saw Cinerama. Yeah, yeah, I was I was rather thrilled by that myself. Um, it like the thing is, it's really really messy and it, it's all over the place and. Um, like characters seem to jump from one place to the other with no explanation whatsoever, um, and the soundtrack is just bizarre mental. at points. Mental, um, but in its kind of just purely batshit way, um, I, I I I had a perfectly good time with Seizure. It's a three out of five for me. You know, it's it is a fairly mild recommend as. If you're not in the, in a particular mood, or if you're not particularly ready for this, it's going to drive you up the wall. Um, but I I don't know. I thought it had flashes of style. I thought it had a fair amount of atmosphere. Uh, I I thought it did have a few like genuinely creepy moments in amongst the like. Oddness. I mean, weirdly, the film that it most reminded me of. Have you ever seen Deathbed, the Bed that Eats? No. Right. I, well, I, I have no idea why I haven't seen that. Sounds magnificent. Yeah. No. Deathbed is. Uh, it's terrible, but it um, it, it's literally about this. Right. Uh, deathbed. Just go on a tangent. It's this bed, and there's this guy whose kind of consciousness is stuck in a painting, and the painting is facing the bed, and he's the. Oh my. God, why haven't I seen this movie? He's the narrator, and it's just this bed that, like, eats people, and they, like, they get on the bed, and then it just starts kind of, like, mowing down on them, and you just hear, like, slurping sounds and crunching sounds as it kind of eats these people. But, um, yeah, Deathbed, the bed that eats. Um, I'm getting that. Oh, it's on YouTube! Yeah, that cover, I will say, and that cover on IMDb is misrepresenting the film so much that that's actually insane. That 
that that cover is insane. It's on YouTube, is it? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm, assu- I'm assuming you're going to be talking about it next week, then. So we'll um, we'll move on. We'll move on. <laughs> we'll move on. Um, I mean, oh god. Right. No. Right. Let's just get back to Siege. Yeah. We'll talk about it next week yeah. or whenever you watch it. Okay. Um, yeah. So it, it reminded me of that in just the kind of the shambling, low budget who the fuck made this aspect of it but like i say i think it did have enough moments and it ha- and it had herve villachet as spider the spider one of which the, is incredible one of the best and and sort of most creep what the what i'll say i was the same as you it is it's definitely more a cura than it is a a, a run out and watch it's uh if you sort of have a look at the the cover uh, the poster and stuff like that, you'll know whether or not it's going to be your type, the type of film that might interest yeah. you. Um, and but during it, there are moments where you can see, despite the fact, I mean, this was an incredibly low budget film, quite clearly, that this is the work of a a, a very gifted director. There are some wonderfully creepy moments in it. Um, there's one bit where Heather uh, Villachet first turns up. Uh, out of the window. No, when, it, when you first see him in an actual proper scene, he's actually doing something, and he's got those those tubs, and he's moving them round, uh, and he's talking, and he starts spreading that cream on her face. It makes that you was, look younger, more vivacious. Yes. Yeah. Which is literally exactly how he sounds like. That's quite creepy. <laughs> uh, uh, but and, and that was that was fucking that was quite creepy. The plane, master. The plane. Sorry. <laughs> fucking hell! Oh my god, that has cat busted a couple of weeks. It's been marvelous. Oh. Um, but yeah, it, most of the creepy moments were him. Oh, and the absolute douchebaggery of the guy who plays Henry Charles. It's like actually Charles, Charles, Charles Charlie Hughes. Hughes. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. scene with the petrol station. Joseph Sirola. Yeah. It, 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 it's he is such an arsehole. And I think the fact that it, it helps that for like the second half of the movie, he's wearing a white suit with a blue a blue and white striped shirt. <laughs> and all I could think of was all the time was. Oh my god, I saw a picture of Ollie Murs wearing that <laughs> outfit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so in my brain, um, Jonathan Frid was re- replaced by Harry Dean Stanton, <laughs> um, and Joseph Sorolla was replaced by Ollie Murs, <laughs> which just made it even fucking weirder. Um, there's a bit where. Um, is chasing uh, Jonathan Frid and it's like it, it's supposed to be the kind of the real um, the, the, the sort of the finale of the movie and he runs off and starts chasing him and then this really strange chase music starts happening yeah, yeah. that's really upbeat and it's like what the fuck and the knife fight between oh, Jonathan oh, Frid and the girl. in her pants. And, and um, Hervé Villachet is just kind of, like, jumping around. Yeah, yeah, with, like, teeth around his neck in a small little red kind of tunic thing. <laughs> and th- that scene where he's kicking everyone's ass. 
Oh, oh where, where he's got them like lined up before before, and I loved I loved this bit as well. Like they're they're sort of, they're being really ominous about like um by the end of the night only one of you will still be alive. And then like what do they make them do? They make them go on a foot race. <laughs> it's fucking. It's fucking. It, it, it's just it's amazing. Like. Ollie Murs is fucking pumping that shit up. He's running like a bastard to get that. And then he just has like a heart attack and just dies. <laughs> it, it just like I I um, like the, I mean like the first forty minutes of the film. It's like it's 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 kind of like bringing up this air of atmosphere. And I mean like there's one shot as well which I thought was the one you were referencing, but it wasn't of um, Jonathan Free getting uh, chased by Herve Villachay. and it's like a dream, and it's kind of black and yeah. white, and it's just like. It's just him running, and then the lights on Hervé Villachey as he kind of runs towards the screen, which I thought was actually, you know, that, that was actually pretty good. Um, and it's like, it's building this whole thing up, and the fact that it's like all these people that like haven't seen each other for ages, and it's like this weekend away. And I thought it was going to be basically like a, kind of a stalk and slash with Hervé Villachey. Yeah. But then like 35 minutes in, there's this crazy home invasion sequence for about a minute that feels like <laughs> it's the end of the film. And then yeah. the next hour is just a completely different film, starting and, off with the foot race. Of, yeah, you've got the, the Queen of Evil, Spider, and what's the, the other executioner? guy? The Executioner? The Executioner, something like that, yeah. Where they're just kind of stood around, and, you know, the Queen of Evil and Spider are explaining the fact that they're older than God, and, you know, they don't believe in God, and God's afraid of them. And we were not and, uh, born, but we have grown inside you, and we know all your secrets, and it... it yeah, it, it explains... The we were not born, play. we grow inside they're gonna, you. They're going to play a game, and only one of them can survive. We're going to make you um, go on a foot race. Yeah, it just... Yeah, <laughs> you, have to, you have to run around the house five times, and the last one of you... We'll get killed. Oh, and this big hulking black guy, which apparently there's something wrong with his face, but you can never make it yeah. out because the cop is not great. Oh, that's, yeah, those shots every now and then of his face. It was just like, what the fuck's that supposed to be then? Yeah, okay, yeah. that totally was supposed to be his face. Yeah, it's... it's oh, it's, it, 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 it's strange that this is the guy who made Wall Street. Yeah, that's that's the thing. That's... That's, yeah, that's exactly it. This is the guy who made Wall Street. This is the guy who made Natural Born Killer. This is the guy who made World Trade Center. And W. And, and, and W. And he's, you know, it, and he's got a scene where Hervé Villachet makes a bunch of people run around a house. <laughs> this is, the amazing thing is, this is, this is sort of, you know, I mean, with Stone, he he was more regarded as a uh, as a writer before he was as a um, as a director. You know, he he directed this in seventy four, and he directed The Hand in eighty one. But before he made like his his first classic movie as a director in Salvador uh, in eighty six, you know, he, he'd already made had written. Um, Midnight Express, Conan, and Scarface, um, and actually um, Eight Million Ways to Die as well. So 
he'd only made a name for himself and had won an Academy Award as a as a screenwriter. And then he he made in the same year he made Salvador and Platoon and established himself as you know a hugely talented director. And it's just strange that in the mid seventies, um, this guy, this you know multi Oscar winner, made something as bizarre as Seizure. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I just, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, I, it, it, and I mean, at the ending as well. Like the, the whole, the, the whole plot is basically revolving around how much of a dick can Jonathan Freen's character possibly get? Yeah, it's this is the sort of movie where this. I, I'm, I'm amazed this doesn't have a bigger cult following than it does. Um, because I, I could certainly see this being, this, this, this could have been one of like the midnight movies. Certainly easily could have been thought of at, at that level because it is just so fucking strange. It is. It, it, it really, I mean, it just, it really, really is. I, 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 I don't even know. I mean, like, the, the bit, like, just what is the bit about the woman with the face cream all about? Like, she just kind of gets kind of killed off randomly, and then the rest of them, yeah. it's like, and, and, I mean, I love the old guy who just kind of decides, that's it, it's my time. I yeah. like the one who's going to die. Make, all right, cool. And then he gets make, it off. make it quick. I've got an appointment. Yeah, yeah. With somebody. <laughs> Um, even and, and I mean, I will say though, I liked the ending. Um, I liked the the cyclical nature of it, and like the kind of the fake out. I liked the, like the fake out. It's all a dream, and then oh shit, it's actually keeping going, and then yeah. oh shit, maybe it actually was all a dream, and then it kind of was all a dream, but it also probably did happen in some sort of cyclical reality. reality yeah. Okay, he's dead now. It does. It does play with a lot more than you expect it to play with. Um, it, yeah, it's fucking. It, it, it's a. It's certainly a strange. It's. It's. What I'll say now is, it's definitely not shit. It's just batshit. Yeah, it's. It is. It is definitely batshit. But I mean, like, just. It's got so many random delights in it. I'll probably never watch it again. But no, I. I. I, I probably won't. But. But let's say if we were at a if we were at a horror film festival, for instance, and this was playing at midnight, I, I'd certainly be saying to you, should we get shit faced and watch it? I yeah. I would watch this YouTube copy projected on Empire Leicester Square screen one over ninety nine percent of the films that play Fright Fest. Yeah, it definitely and I, I, I don't see why that can't happen. Mm. Like seriously. If this had a Blu-ray release, even though God knows what distribution company would put the money into this into restoring this Blu-ray, fuck knows. But if this was out on Blu-ray, I'd buy it for the sheer fair fucking play distribution company. You can have my ten pounds. Good. Yes. Yeah, I, 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 I would I would buy it just simply to be able to lend it to people who wouldn't buy it. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, it it is the kind of film. That I would stick on in uh, for people and just yeah. say, "What the fuck do you make of this?" Yeah, 
what watch her the village here make people run round yeah house. and and pop up out, outside of windows and scare people yeah i i have a feeling that that, that some people might actually watch this now and, and will receive emails saying what the fuck is wrong with you two? probably but yeah. I, I i i had fun watching seizure i genuinely had fun i laughed a number of times I got quite vocal in my what the fuck is going on now-ness of it. And I, just the fact that I watched this on YouTube on my 42-inch LED TV, yeah. there's something was, glorious about that. Yeah. I, 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 actually, I actually have... I actually managed to download two copies of this in a day, just in case one of them was shit. <laughs> nice. It, it, um, folks, seriously, I don't think I've ever wanted anyone to email to do the monkey in more than I do about people who watch Seizure and give us their opinions of it. Yeah. Um, so please email in if, if, if you watched it. Just even if it's to say you're both fucking idiots and you're wrong, um, then that that that's fine. But um, please just give us some kind of feedback on it. Um, Right, moving swiftly on. Um, two questions. Um, um, right, we do have questions. First question is Team Zizu. What's the worst film in the Best Picture Oscar nominations 2013? Um, Ooh. They're all very strong. What's actually nominated again in Best Picture? Uh, let me just reframe self with what's nominated. What's the worst of these films? Oh shit, they are all really fucking strong. Aren't what, they? what are they? Um... Amor, Argo, Beasts of the Wild, Django, uh, which I watched again in the week, um, Lemmy's, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings, and Zero Dark Thirty. Personally, Silver yeah. Linings. Yeah. Um, though it is relative because I, I I enjoyed Silver Linings not as much as yourself, but um, I I enjoyed Silver Linings. Um, the, 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 I mean, in terms of personal preference, um, as much as I like Hanukkah, um, a more would probably be fairly low down. Even though I want to give a more another watch because I I I it. it I don't know. It was very, very cold in the cinema, and that was kind of putting me off towards the end. And the moment where the big fateful event happens towards the end, I kind of wasn't paying attention, and then it happened. And I feel like I maybe missed some of the emotional beats there. Um, of the ones I've seen, uh, I'm still to see... Argo, Beast, and Lincoln. You're still to see those, mate. Yeah. It's the Oscars next week. You got some fucking watching to do. Yeah, I'll be fucking cool, bud. Is it next week? It's Sunday, bud. Is it? Yeah. Fuck it, isn't it? Yeah, I'll watch them by then. Easy. Um, Lim is for me, and I really enjoyed Lim is. Mm. Um, right. Next question is from. Steve Dixon, the, the great SD. Uh, after a drunk production meeting, you've got Haneke to direct Schwarzenegger and Adam Sandler in a movie. 
What do you make? Uh, I make nothing. I immediately remember my drunken mistakes and send them both very polite emails saying, sorry guys, I had a bit too much last night. Even though if I was Hanukkah, maybe I'd get them to star in a film about um, swinging cats with Naomi Watts from The Ring 2 and Juliette Binoche from Dan in real life. Uh, lol. Uh, I, I would... I would um do a remake of Tango and Cash. I just, I would email them and say, sorry, gents, I made a mistake. This isn't happening. Michael Haneke, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Adam Sandler is a recipe for disaster. That I, I genuinely, I don't want to see it. I, 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 I'd make a Deliverance style movie where they go rafting. <laughs> Would would Michael Haneke actually go rafting with them on camera? I'd make um, Huckleberry Finn with uh, Adam Sandler as Huck Finn and Schwarzenegger as the big black dude. But I'd have him black. I think you should have Arnold Schwarzenegger as the river. (laughs) Oh, that'd be beautiful. It's just Adam Sandler Uh, like rowing on Arnold Schwarzenegger for two hours (laughs) with a raft. He could be, yeah, yeah there you go, uh, he could be the raft. He's the Austrian oak after all. Hey! Yeah. Hey! Right, that's it, we're doing it. That's, it's it's going to be called Raft. Mm. Um, filmed a Michael Haneke. <laughs> Glenn Chapman. Um, if you could transplant any movie star's hair onto your head, whose who's hair would you have? He's saying it after Zac Efron, obviously. Oh, um, oh any movie star's hair. Uh, James Franco in Spring Breakers. Uh, I think you. I think you could pull off Carmel. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go for. Uh, oh shit! I don't know. The bad guy from Doomsday. <laughs> I'm gonna go for Brad Pitt in uh, True Romance. That's not bad. That's, that, that's a guy. I used to actually have that hair as well. That's not bad. Um, Tom, uh, at very cinematic, very cinematic. Um, which three 2013 releases uh, are you most excited about? Uh, his uh, upstream color, trance, and uh, Elysium. <sighs> um, at this moment in time, uh, Stoker. Because yeah, um, that UK trailer is incredible. That trailer blows my mind. That's like a little movie in itself. Um, Stoker, Inside Lou and Davis, uh, Cohen Brothers' new one, uh, or Davies. Yeah. Um, that that that's got the potential to be amazing. And uh, Only God Forgives. Uh, mine would be Only God Forgives, uh, The Place Beyond the Pines, and Stoker. Just because that that trailer for the place beyond the pines is pretty. Oh cool. mate, if you ride like lightning, you're gonna crash like thunder. That fucking line yeah. in itself is. Oh. Ah, oh, it's wonderful. That, that film, it's... that film's gonna do that whole. I, I think that film might be this year's The Grey, where it's something that's just so full of raw male emotion that. It, it, it like I've got a feeling there are going to be moments in that that are going to be really hard to take. 
if you're a dude. If you're, yeah. if you're a dude, exactly. I'm not saying that, that women didn't appreciate the great, no, but we, we've had that just, conversation. Yeah, it, it, it's the wild bunch people thing. Mm. More guys have cried at the wild bunch than girls have cried at wild it, bunch, just because it is it is heartbreaking to watch as a dude. Or like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, you know. Yeah, like, it, 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 it's it, it's that breakdown of um, of man. Mm. It's the de- the deconstruction of man, yeah. and I adore those type of movies. Uh, that's that's all of our Twitter questions gone. Um, I've got a, one very short piece of feedback. Oh, uh, it's again from John uh, John D Robinson. So thank you, John. And he says one word that diffuses any good and kind words for Avatarded: unobtainium. <laughs> what the flip? Lazy, lazy, lazy writing. If you're going to make up a word, try. That's all I ask. Uh, fair point. Unobtainium isn't a made-up word. Oh, boom! Really? It's not a made-up word. I thought that. Um, it, 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 it's, it's made up in a case of what they have done. Um, they have appropriated it wrong. Uh, but um, unobtainium uh, is um, it, it's anything... It, it, it's an actual engineering word. Um, uh, the term unobtainium uh, when referring to unusually or costly materials or when theore- theoretically considered a material perfect for the needs in all respects except that it does not exist. So it is a word that has been around for a long time. It's It basically means something that would work perfectly but it doesn't exist. Nice. So, yes, completely agree with this point. However, it was a word beforehand. It's just it, it was it was wrongly used. It was bastardized. Bastardized. Yes. So yeah, there we there we go. Uh, is that is that everything? Uh, yes. Right. Um, that was that was another brilliant two and a half hour hour and a half. Ninety podcast. minutes, people. Every week, ninety minutes. Every week, ninety minutes. Um. We've got some sort of fun bits coming up over the next uh, few weeks. Um, what are we covering next week? Um, I say I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to see it. Good old picture house. Um, as long as my local Cineworld or somewhere close to me is showing Terence Malick's new one, To the Wonder. Then yes, yeah, I think we're going to be doing To the Wonder next week. I, but seriously, if I can't see To the Wonder next week, I'm going to be fucking. Fuming. I don't care what the advanced word on that film is. Oh, I don't. That trailer is awesome. I am so up for Two the Wonder. Maybe not Two Wonders. It's a Terence Malick film. It's just under two hours. Two hours long. So what you know is, no matter what, you are going to be looking at something beautiful for two hours. And and do you know what? I don't care if it's a fucking story. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be better than the Master. (laughs) Um, Um, and then of course yeah sorry go on mate yeah you that's the worst uh, and then we'll be doing um, some Oscar bits uh, with uh, oh god yeah we said we're going to record that didn't we watch your damage and adventures in VHS and then the following week uh, there's a high possibility uh, myself and Ian and possibly guests could all be recording live together in the same room yeah what we'll be covering or what we'll be doing, we don't know yet. We haven't really worked it out. Um, 
but we'll, we'll we'll certainly be trying to do something. Um, hopefully, it Whether won't turn into the purple rain commentary, which it, it, it could do because I do have a copy of Streets of Fire on my computer. Oh, yeah. uh, so we could do a commentary. Oh, I wouldn't mind doing a commentary of Streets of Fire. That could be good. I would. I wouldn't mind, but it all depends on how drunk we are. To to give context for those who don't know, we're going to uh, Mike Chinstroker's um, stag uh, weekend, which is basically going to be three days of of drinking. Um, And and, and some film watching, because there's some decent films on. Yeah, absolutely. But um, that's... And I will say, if anyone's going to the sci-fi weekender, um, which is... In Wales, somewhere, North Wales, I know that much. Um, in, uh, is where it is. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's close as I can get to pronounce There's it. probably two L's, four F's and an R in there somewhere. I did, like, fuck, I live in Wales, <laughs> I see that shit every day. Um, so, uh, yeah, if anybody, anybody's going, hit us up on Twitter and whatnot, and, um, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so, um, dude and monkey at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at dude and monkey at Ian Loring at dude Foz. Uh, please get in touch. Give us feedback. Anything like that. Uh, iTunes reviews are always um, well, you know, well received. Um, be them good or bad. Of course, they wouldn't be bad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, hit us up, chat to us, do whatever. We're 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 we're, we're quite open and we're quite approachable uh, even if Ian is a fanboy wanker um, so yeah that was episode 12 I uh, hope you enjoyed it and we'll be speaking to you soon bye bye